Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Wednesday morning, January 11, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Good morning, Freehold. Good morning. Everybody up and ready to roll. There's a lot going yes. on in the world of politics today. It's one of these, um, I guess, one of these rundown sheets that I have that is loaded. In fact, it's two pages long. And then I've got articles galore from The Hill, Politico, Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. Now you're name dropping. Twitter. Mm, Twitter. Oh. Yeah. That's kind of like, that's door number two, remember? Yeah. Let's make a deal. <laughs> Behind door number one is story A. Behind door number two is story B. And I need to turn my phone on silent. Yeah. to me at six o'clock in the morning. Anyway. Early. Um, when I'm, yeah. <laughs> when I was building truck beds and got a text or a call at the time, it was not a lot of texting back then. It was normally somebody calling to say they couldn't come to work. They were sick or... Did you know he got locked up last night? No. <laughs> <laughs> and he wouldn't be he wouldn't be here. Had a buddy of it mine. Usually wasn't a great call. I had at a that buddy of mine. I, I said, "Hey man, where where staying? Staying at being working two days." He said, "Um, Stan got Russ up." <laughs> I said, "Got okay. what?" He said, "Stan got Russ up." I said, "What is Russ up?" He said, "He got arrested." I said, "Okay, he got rust up. Um, how's he getting out? Because he's a good employee. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That, that's always the quandary of running a business is trying to uh, maintain the um." The degree of commitment required and seriousness uh, required. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday, and we'll get to something uh, sports-related here in just a second. I think we could do a show on this. So I stopped to get gas yesterday, and I wanted me a protein shake. I'd just gotten finished working out, knew I needed some gas. had another appointment at 5, yeah, about 4.30 in the afternoon. And I wasn't hurrying, but I didn't have a whole lot of time to waste. So here's... I mean, I've argued that the line of demarcation in society eventually be those who have a biblical worldview and those that don't, those that believe in God and those that don't. I mean, that will be the ultimate eventual end of America as we know it. I mean, you got liberals, conservatives, you got people who believe that Hillary should have walked and Biden should have walked and Trump should be in car. I mean, you got all those, you know, divisions in America. But but I, I was convinced that eventually, when we were forced to choose sides, the divorce of America. Um, incompatible ideologies and interest that it would be about God. You know, I mean, I'm not talking about Christianity. I mean, I think Jews will be on our team. I think some other religions will be on our team because we believe there's a higher power who gives all blessings. Um, I'm convinced now that I was wrong. The workforce participation rate will be that divide, <laughs> that that divide that will eventually the pushing define. versus the pulling. Well, I mean, here's the deal. So I stopped to get a protein shake, a protein drink out of the cooler. I've already paid for my gas. And people are there with, you know, the lottery in mind. You got a $1.1 billion lottery. Uh, people are buying lottery tickets. And here's the um, here's the line. You ready? So the workforce participation rate is 62%. That means 62% of us have to be somewhere. 38% don't. So when somebody slops around in front of me and takes 20 minutes to buy two lottery tickets, and they really don't have anywhere to go, and they, they could care less my plot. See, Frio shaking his head. Now, I'm on to something here, aren't I? Um, you've got 62% of America spoken for, right? I mean, Rev has a job to do. Frio has a job to do. I have a job to do. I have responsibilities to take care of. 38% of America don't. The most important thing they'll do that day is buy that lottery ticket, I would imagine. I didn't say they're bad people. I didn't say they're doing bad things. But they don't have a damn thing to do and a damn place to be. And everybody and they're else in does. your way. 
So so when, when they're sitting there guys. when they're sitting there pondering whether or not they should buy the um the pick six or the lucky seven or the whatever it is. I mean, you know, you got the um you got the uh, the display case with about forty or fifty. Um they just assume that, you know, the workforce participation rate is zero. They just assume none of us have anywhere to go. And the um and the cashier's normally complicit. See, if I'm running the business, I'm saying, hey, got to hurry up. I got four or five customers who are probably part of that 62% in the workforce participation rate. So I owe you an apology. I've argued that the, the eventual divide in America will be about, you know, those who believe in God and those who don't. No, it's going to be those who are in the workforce participation rate 62% number and those who aren't, who don't have anywhere to go. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't have anywhere to go and anywhere to be, I, I applaud you. Good for you. I mean, if you won the lottery, if you're a trust fund baby, um, if you're figured out a way to live off the government, I mean, there ain't a lot of trust fund babies. There are not a lot of lottery winners. I mean, the majority of people are doing what? Living off the government. But but be kind and sympathetic to our calls. We've not figured out a way to live off the government. We don't have a desire to live off the government. So help us along our way <laughs> so we can be as productive as you need us to be, okay? Because remember, you're 38%. The 38% of you, now some are retirees, some are trust fund babies, some are lottery winners. But the majority, the majority are just living off taxpayer money. So so in order for me to be as productive as I need to be to generate the $4.35 trillion the government confiscates every year so they can dole out the benefits you so enjoy, <laughs> let me get where I need to be so I can be as productive uh, as required. 843. <laughs> Six six one zero nine three seven. Yeah, the four point three trillion they need to partially cover their obligations. Partially cover? Yes. Yeah, I think it's five point six point two trillion. Oh my gosh! I think with the outlays or the projected outlays, it's somewhere between five point eight six point two. I mean, I've seen seen numbers five point eight, others at six point two. We're collecting somewhere around four and a quarter ish, somewhere somewhere thereabout. And America seems to be not bothered. Hmm. I actually talked with a guy in finance yesterday, a little bit about some other things, and I said, hey man. Um, he asked me, he said, you got a second to talk about something else. Yeah. Um, what do you think of this debt? I said, it's a bunch. <laughs> it's a bunch. <laughs> it's a bunch. He said, it is, isn't it? Um, where's the tipping point? He had heard Charlie Munger, you know, the, uh, the co-founder of Berkshire Hathaway. I mean, Warren Buffett's the front man, so to speak. Buffett's Mick Jagger, you know, um, Charlie Munger's Keith Richards. I mean, he's critically just a younger version of Keith Richards. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, looks like you know Charlie's a hundred. I know. You know, I know. Bu- <laughs> I think Buffett and Charlie Munger together are nearly two hundred yeah. years old. If I'm not mistaken, I mean, I'm serious. They're both in their like mid nineties. <laughs> well, is it, how old's Richards? Yeah, I mean, he's well, got to be like <laughs> well, how old's a couple Keith hundred. Richards? Yeah, a couple hundred. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's petrified, but right. who's counting? You know, <laughs> I'll tell you what Keith Richards has done here. You ready? He's been on the list of the 10 most likely people to die for like 26 consecutive years. <laughs> right. I would imagine he'll be on that list again this year. And if I were a betting man, you know what I'd bet? The Stones bring in the new year yeah. <laughs> with a rock concert in some foreign country, probably in a sold out venue. But Munger said that 22, 23, 24, he said this in um like 2009, 10 or 11, um, after the debacle of 2008, the financial crisis came along. Charlie Munger was asked, you know, we're, we're, we're running up extraordinary amounts of debt. I mean, is there, is, there an, is, there, is there some concern you have at some point in time about this being such an inhibitor economic growth? And, and Munger kind of responded, well, I mean, if you, if you begin 
having to service that much debt, funding that many government programs, the, the velocity of money slows down to the public sector as opposed to the private sector. So naturally, th- th- there's a kind of a cause and effect here. And Munger basically said, he didn't say, I know this to be true, but he said somewhere in the neighborhood of $22, $23, 24000000000000 trillion. And you got to believe if anybody knows how to study on that, quote unquote, it would be a company like Berkshire, who was in the business of, um, you know, cash and investing and, and liquidity. And, um, but, but, but my friend said, or I told my friend, I said, but the, you know, Munger probably didn't uh, perceive interest rates being zero uh, for 15 years. I mean, if you'd ask Munger today, and I've not heard him answer this question, um, but if you ask Charlie Munger today, hey, what's that number, Charlie? He'd say, well, I mean, I said $23 trillion, but we've kept interest rates so suppressed and, and our and our carrying cost, you know, the the um, the price of finances being um, cheaper than I imagined it would be, and I, I would imagine he'd say spot 31 32 33 trillion, you know, somewhere about, where we, we're, we're there, about yeah. where we are where we are now and um and the country just kind of keeps whistling past <laughs> the graveyard running up a um an in excess of a trillion dollar a year annual annual deficit i can't believe you jumped right into non, non-sports because it was a big day in gamecock land what, yesterday what's it a big day about well i mean there's a couple things i mean we could talk about uh, we got tiger fans listening now i know i know that's why i'm just saying in gamecock and land it, if you're a gamecock but, but if we fan, start talking basketball you know what the tiger fans will say Get some if you want it. Right. I mean, I think they're leading the ACC. I think so. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. um, off to a great start. Probably the best start they've ever had in the Atlantic Coast Conference. So the Gamecocks basketball team travels to Louisville or Lexington. Lexington. And uh, and at Rupp Arena beats Kentucky. But you would agree it's not a traditional Kentucky team. I don't think it is. I mean, it's not one of yeah. the top five, yeah. six teams in the country like Kentucky. But it's a W for the it's Gamecocks. It's a W for the Gamecocks. Might be the only one they get the SEC. And and they, uh, well, they stopped a 28-game home winning streak. The mm-hmm. Wildcats, and um, and probably gave the Kentucky faithful the extra nudge they needed to make a change with Calipari. Uh, it seems to me, and, and some of the some coaches have great runs at universities. Calipari's had a good run, a great run at Kentucky. But it seems to me at some point in time, um, that love and doting wears thin, and Kentucky and Calipari are kind of sorta at that point. Nothing lasts forever. What you think it is when you're in the middle of it. I mean, Georgia fans believe they're going to win 10 national championships in a row. No, you're going to win five. Um, <laughs> Good start. By Did the you way. hear the Kirby Smart pregame speech? I read it. Wow. Wow. I, I, I was by myself and I was almost embarrassed to read whoa. it. Whoa. <laughs> whoa. Sounded like my coach in the 10th grade or the 11th, <laughs> the 11th grade. Whoa. You're talking about profanity lace. Folks up north would have been proud. Mm. <laughs> it's early and the kids aren't listening yet, right? I mean, I don't know that I've ever heard a northerner say the F-bomb that many times <laughs> in 45 seconds. Kirby said, hey, let's go get them. Yeah. You know, let's blankety blank, 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 go get them. And uh, well, I guess it worked. And indeed, um, <laughs> they, they got did. them. If profanity-laced tirades lead teams to play like that, coaches will have to go to church three times on Sunday and wash their mouth out with a double dose of soap, if indeed uh, that is the case. But there was other uh, some other Gamecock news. We got Tiger fans listening in. I know. Okay. I know. Hey, I'd like to welcome any Tiger fan to call any time. Let's talk about Tiger news. It's just, you know, it's an area of interest for We're us. We're fair to the Tigers. I think we I are. I mean, you're a Gamecock. I'm a Gamecock. Yeah. We're fair to the Tigers. Yeah. I, I, I challenge anybody to say. We sure. I mean, I, I think we talked about Georgia yesterday, and I said the only team outside of the SEC that has rivaled the, the, the SEC winning 13 of 17 championships has been Clemson. 
I mean, it really and truly, during that run, they were as good as anybody in America. They were better than anybody in America twice, but but that run ended. I mean, they, they're still a good program. They're probably a top 10. I think they ended the season number 13 of the country. They're probably expected to be in the top 10 again. But right now, the two-headed monster, it's kind of a one-and-a-half-headed monster, and that is Georgia, and then and then Alabama, and then I would argue, you know, Ohio State. I don't know who else. Clemson is kind of in that next batch, which ain't a bad batch to be in. It's just the SEC is dominated, and um, and that is the case. But but yeah, well, I think we've been fair to Clemson as we try to mention so. them in our in our discourse. Try to be, and mm-hmm. uh, we have Clemson fans call sure. here a lot and give us the go Tigers, and that's a okay, no question about no it. No problem. But Spencer Rattler has announced he's coming back for twenty three. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's good news for the Gamecocks. Yeah, no question about it. Yeah. That's big news for the Gamecocks. Probably the biggest news since Beamer's been there. Well, second biggest news. The biggest news when Rattler decided to transfer. Mm-hmm. And I think we 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 kind of articulated what our thoughts are on Rattler. He's a an elite talent who has yet had an elite career. He had an elite last three games, but he's not had the consistency required to go to the next level to earn the respect of people who decide whether or not you get a chance to play at the next level. Spencer Rattler is the baseball draft pick who was 6-6 six and six in college but has a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. I mean, if you look at a kid pitching at, let's say Clemson, and he's 6-6, six and six, and he's the number three pick in the entire Major League Baseball draft, and you say, he was only 6-6 six and six in college. The pro scouts say, I don't care. He's got a 97-mile-an-hour fastball, and his slider looks like it, you know, I mean, it just breaks you off at the waist. Um, we can figure out a way for him to win. If he can throw 97 and his slider's 92, we'll figure out a way to win baseball games with, with a guy like that. Spencer Strider would be a little bit like that, just electric arm. Well, well, Rattler has an electric arm. He has a God-given talent. You and I could practice as long as we'd like. Your kid could practice as long as he'd like. You're not going to throw a football like that. There, there's something about his arm that's different than everybody else's. We've seen it baseball players. We've seen it in basketball players, football players, and he has an elite arm. But until today, Rev, he's not been able to put it together. I refer to Spencer Rattler as Bitcoin. He's high risk, high reward. I mean, he makes three throws against Clemson that you're like, wow, we had not had a quarterback make throws like that. But then he makes two throws and you're like, wow, we've had a lot of quarterbacks you know, make make throws into double coverage, didn't see the linebacker. I mean, a lot of, and, and that's just who he is. Well, if he cleans that up, if he comes back, and I think I said yesterday that he was coming back. I mean, I'd heard from some insiders that they were real close That's to making a chatter up. for a few days. Yeah, I mean, well, I, mean I, I think I knew this Friday. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think by Friday I knew that they had ironed out some differences. Um, they had a deal. NIL is a big deal in this. It's transfer portal and all these other. In Spencer's case, in the Juice Wells case, it was the NFL. You know, projection. Where are you going to go? You know, I was talking to someone yesterday. I'd love to hear from a Clemson fan about this because I think this is one thing we have in common. What is too much to pay a player? Oregon paid um, Bo Nix $1.5 million to come back to Oregon. That's too much to me. Hmm. I mean, to me, that's too much I mean, money. It's, it's a direct correlation to what they could or would earn well, and, and here's in the what NFL, we were talking right? about. Here, here's exactly where I landed. And I've kind of landed here uh, three months ago. If you get a draft score from a kid, whether it's Clemson or South Carolina, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, it doesn't matter. If you get a draft score... And I'm not talking about recruiting players. I'm talking about retaining players. Let's say a player comes to Clemson and he ends up being a really good player and he's draft eligible and he's decided. I mean, if he's a first round draft choice and you're a coach and you're not telling him to leave, then you're selfish and you won't last long in that business. The the kid's best interest has to be 
coexisting with your job as to you know coach it at Clemson or South Carolina for that matter. Let's take Beamer and, and Dabo. So to me, if Trevor Lawrence or or Jadavion Clowney walk into Beamer's or or Dabo's office and say, Coach, here's what they've said about my draft status, the coach has got to say, Son, it's been it's been great coaching you. But but you gotta tell I mean this is generational money. I mean you're gonna be the first pick in the entire NFL draft. I mean I, I need to hug your neck. You know, don't forget us. Because there'll be one, maybe one day down the road we ask you for a donation <laughs> to Ipte or the Gamecock Club or the NIL, you know, collectives. But um, but but if you get in Rattler territory or, or Juice Wales, and I'm not as familiar with the other players at Clemson, um, I mean, I think the defensive linemen had to leave because they're all projected to be first-round draft choices. I mean, that's life-changing money. And I'm talking about generationally life-changing money. But if you're Spencer Rattler and you've been told by several NFL scouts that you're probably somewhere late second early third, maybe even the fourth, if teams don't believe you've um, matured enough in your development. Um, and that, that that grade comes out at a $1 million, you know, contract, you know, um, 75% of that, 70% of that is the number. You can't go down that road with every player because most players don't have the chance to play pro football, right? I mean, despite Georgia being really, really good, Chicago Bears beat Georgia to death. I mean, they'd beat Georgia three touchdowns. I don't care what anybody says. I saw somebody yesterday saying, I'd love to see the Georgia Bulldogs play Chicago Bears. Mm. Chicago would kill them. I mean, they'd beat their brains out because how many Georgia Bulldogs are going to the NFL? Some, but not all. Everybody on the Bears is a pro football player. Every single player with the Chicago Bears or whomever the worst team in the NFL are a professional football player. As good as Georgia is, only 25% of their roster, 20% of their roster will sign pro contracts. Um, probably get drafted another little, you know, free agency and all these other practice squads and whatnot. But, but I think the number to me is 75%. A Spencer Rattler or, or, a, or a, a marginal choice at Clemson, one of the D linemen. I mean, if one of the D linemen at Clemson thinks he's going to be a, a third round draft choice and that draft status or that draft ranking says he's going to make a million dollars, 70, you know, 700,000. I mean, you can't do that to every player. Please understand. There's no way other than Texas and Texas A&M, <laughs> maybe Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, if the Gamecocks and Tigers try to play players three-quarters of a million dollars, they'll run out of money in a hurry. <laughs> you know what I mean? But but some of these really good college players, you got to subsidize. you got to, you know, pay in, in some way or shape or form. But, I mean, we're, we're trying to learn as we progress. Um, I think Spencer's deal will probably be in the neighborhood of a million bucks in that vicinity. Wow. I mean, that's a lot of money. I mean, yeah. that's a, a, a god-awful amount of money. But I think his draft score – and his signing bonus would have probably been somewhere a million and a half-ish. And I think coming back and playing and trying to clean up some of the inconsistencies, another year of um, of SEC football, there's a chance that he does, you know, find himself, so to speak, becomes more consistent, a better player. And, and, and he's motivated to do that, well, which is good for the team. Well, you hope he's motivated. That's still the question. Is it? I mean, well, let me ask you a question, Rhett. When, so. when you were 18, did somebody sign you with a million-dollar contract? <laughs> no. Okay? I mean, it's I good wish. to be hungry. Right. It's good to be hungry. I mean, I, I believe that with every fiber of my being. And I think eventually we'll get to contracts or NIL, NIL agreements that force the player to perform. I mean, it'll be a little bit like the, if you want the money like an NFL player, you got to accept some of the some of the rationale that NFL players do, and performance bonuses are a big part of this. You know, if, if I were in charge – 
um, I would I would force the players to sign deals. And I'm talking about lucrative deals. I'm not talking about the left tackle who's getting twenty grand a month or ten grand a month or five grand a month, whatever whatever that number is. I'm talking about when you get to the players that really make a difference in your program and have an option. I mean, the the, the right tackle to South Carolina doesn't have an option. I mean, he's kind of got to take what you give him. You got to be fair with him. Um, Spencer Rattler's got options. Deuce Wells has options, and I think you got the up the ante with that. But um, but I, you can't play college football players a million dollars. I mean, if, if we if we go down that road, that there'll be a distinct difference between the have and have nots. And Texas, Texas A and M, Southern California, um, maybe uh, Georgia probably would. I mean, Georgia hired the former chairman of Augusta National <laughs> to run their um, collective. You think he knows how to network and raise money? Mm-hmm. I'd say he does. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. I don't know if I can articulate this the way I sure you want to articulate it because I've been thinking. If I, if I keep interrupting you, you won't. <laughs> well, that's, that's, I historically that's, have done that. That's, uh, that is true, <laughs> I guess. But uh, but anyway, now I was thinking about something. You, you were talking about the divide, the v- divide between the people that are the 62% that have somewhere to be and do and work versus the people that are you know, taking something from the government to uh, meet their survival needs, I guess. Uh, but, but but that being versus being the divide between God and no God, which you've talked about for a long time on the show. But I've been thinking about something the last couple of days as it relates to God and and faith and religion and things. So the Damar Hamlin situation, Damar uh, obviously had the incident on the field in Cincinnati. Um, and we saw something that we haven't seen as a nation for a long time. It was it was cool to pray. I mean, the NFL players were kneeling on the field. What do you mean it was cool to pray? Explain that. Well, I mean, all of a sudden you saw, uh, you know, un- unashamedly, uh, there were players that were gathered in prayer. There were commentators on national TV that were, were holding prayer. I mean, when is the last time you've seen that? Usually, if you think back to Tim Tebow, who was kneeling on the field in prayer, he got ridiculed for it, right? There, There's a certain place in all of our lives, and I believe this with every fiber of my being because I've lived it. We've all lived it. To some degree, it's interesting you said that because I showed Rev uh, a word on my on my rundown sheet. Prayer, um, prayer is humanity's way of confronting things they don't understand. When 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 the human mind, the human soul reaches its limitations. In other words, had he torn his torn his ACL, there's a certain humanistic understanding of that. That happens. Right. I mean, it's tragic. It's horrible. It's career ending. It changes your and your family's life forever. But there's a certain comprehending that human beings have for a kid on a football field tearing his ACL, being told the next day you'll never play again, or really and truly knowing in that moment. Marcus Lattimore would be a good example. Marcus, I mean, the day Marcus got hurt against Tennessee and you saw the the condition of his leg, you kind of knew. He's a good kid. He'll work hard, but he ain't playing football at a competitive level ever again. Let's just hope he can get on the treadmill one day. Well, the human body had conditioned itself to be ready for that. We've seen that. We've never seen a kid, or I've never seen a kid, you know, get get, get a violent collision, stand up, and just fall as, as if he's dying. I mean, it looked like, I mean, I'm on a group text. It looked like he, on that group text, is a big Buffalo Bills fan. So we're watching the game, and I'm ragging him about the Bengals are better. And he's like, well, we'll see, we'll see, you know, and we're kind of jabbing back and forth at one another. And um, and 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 somebody on that text thread with about five of us said, is he is he dead? Because he looked like, well, I mean, once again, so, so why do we pray? Why don't we pray when that ACL tears or that shoulder separates 
or that concussion because we've conditioned ourselves as players and fans and spectators to kind of be ready for that. Right. I mean, it, you know, and, but, and really you don't think it's life threatening no, when you see it. But, but, but once again, I still think it's more we've conditioned ourselves to accept that's part of the game. It's, 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 it's sad. And I would imagine if you're intimate with a family, you are praying. God, I hope that's not an ACL. God, Marcus, you know what I mean? Wow. I mean, that looks terrible. But, but once again, when a kid stands up, staggers back to the ground, and looks as if he's had something different happen, I think prayer is a natural reaction when human beings confront their own limitations. Tim Tebow decided to give God glory in everything. You can call it um, cheesy. You can call it corny. You can call it, you know, um, uh, trying to advance the gospel in a commercial way. But there's a lot of ways to go about that. But, but, you know, any time the country bows its head in prayer to a God in heaven, the country is healing in some way, shape, or form. Now, I don't know what comes out of the story. I mean, we know one good thing, Rev, that the guy had $2,000 in an account trying to give kids toys in underprivileged situations. There's $5 million. I mean, I think that's all God-inspired. Mm-hmm. But, but you're right. It, the, the most secular soul in America had some spiritual reaction because once again, they had reached their human limitations. And where do you go when you've reached your human limitations? I mean, you've heard the stories over and over again. There are no atheists in foxholes. You know, please God. Never right. been to church. Never professed a belief in, in God. But all of a sudden, you're in a, in a gunfire, you know, in Afghanistan. Please God, get me out of this. Please God, if you'll get me out of this, uh, I, I'll serve you. I'll do whatever uh, we need to do. Tim Tebow chose... To, to, to incorporate that into every part of his life. And society saw that as, um, you know, kind of pandering or, or, you know, a little bit of gamesmanship in Christianity and all, you know, commercializing the gospel of Jesus. I've never tried to be judgmental about why someone prays, why they don't pray, you know, why Tebow prayed after every play and why some players pray before the game and after. I don't, I don't have any idea about that. And I'm careful to be judgmental about that. I, I believe there's a God in heaven. When that kid stood up and fell back down, I don't think God was caught off guard. A lot of things that God allows to happen in our world and universe, I don't comprehend. I don't understand. I can't make heads or tails up, and I'm okay with that, to be honest with you. Um, I've had personal examples in my life and my family's life that I have looked up in the heavens and said, why, God? I mean, why are we having to go through this? Why are we having to endure this? But, but you know what I'm proud of, Rev? I don't turn the TV on and say, Oprah, why am I having to go through this? You know, why why is my kid addicted to opiates? I mean, there there were decisions made that led us there. Some are mostly, you know, self-accountable decisions. But, but I, I, you know, in in my world and in my life, I've never turned the television on and said, Oprah, what am I to do now? I mean, I don't know what to do. Once human beings reach their own comprehending limitations, they look for somewhere else. And I think when that kid stood up, we knew he didn't have an ACL tear. We do, knew he didn't have a separated shoulder. We knew it wasn't a broken leg. We didn't know what it was. And because we didn't know what it was and had no understanding of it, where did we go? Where did most Americans go? They went to their knees. They didn't call Oprah. They didn't go to Twitter. They went to their knees and say, God, I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm worried. I don't know what's happening here. And, and I think subconsciously you're almost saying, but you do. You do, and and all I can do at this moment in time is put my faith and trust in you. And I go back to Tebow. Tebow is ridiculed. Tebow just simply decides 
didn't decide then, he decides now to give God glory in everything he does. And I think that is such a commendable way to live your life in a way that I have the burning. I, I'm not there. I, I don't profess to be. I mean, I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say, uh, me and Tebow. No, no, it ain't me and Tebow. I admire somebody who walks out. My mom walked that walk. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. My mom gave God the glory in everything. I asked my mom one day. My mom had rheumatoid arthritis, um, a, a daughter late in life that couldn't walk. I mean, that was a burden. It was a blessing, but it was a burden. I mean, physically, my mom's got arthritis. She was divorced. Um, my, my dad took very good care of my mom financially. You know, I mean, he did. I mean, well, I've told the story. My, my mom, my dad made a side deal with my mom. It wasn't even a divorce arrangement. <laughs> and when my brother and I took over the business, my dad said, look, I made a deal with your mama that this business was going to do X. It ain't in the divorce. And that sounds just like my dad. It ain't in the divorce arrangement, but here's what we're going to do. Well, well, my mom just believed that, you know, um, God is the giver of all blessings. And he orchestrates our life, and he allows us to have this this existing free will. And is that compatible with with his world and his will, sometimes it is, sometimes, sometimes it ain't. But I think when human beings reach their limits, when, when they reach the um, the limitation to comprehend and understand, there's something inside all of us. Whether and once again, Rev, whether there were a lot of people who bowed their knees and said, "I, I really don't know why I'm doing this, but something tells me I need to," and there were others that almost instantaneously said. I got to go to God because I don't understand why we're doing CPR to a 24-year-old on a football field. And and here's my next thought. It appears that God listened and answered the prayers because he well, survived I, I, I and think, he seems to be doing okay. And I just wonder if this is a, if this is a, for lack of a better way to say it, a, a teachable moment. Well, but see, I think God answers all prayers. A lot of them, he don't answer them the way we want them answered. I think God listens right. to every prayer Every sincere prayer, he listens. He just chooses to not give us the answers we want probably as many times as he does. And where the blessing is in this, I don't know. Um, it was a, it was a heartwarming period of time for America, you know, for a second or two or three. The Democrats weren't angry at the Republicans. I mean, I, is, is, that, is that number three from Buffalo a, a Democrat or a Republican? <laughs> You know, I'm not praying for those Democrats. I'm not praying for those Republicans. For a second, we're able to, you know, but I think God does that. And once again, I think the inspiration is us reaching our limitations of what we think we understand and what we don't. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Morning, Joe. Yeah, that uh, that incident episode, whatever you want to call it, that's what gave me hope over the last couple of weeks. Because they were actually praying on television, and you don't see that. I mean, you know, everybody say, well, it's 50% Christian or worship or whatever. That That's hogwash. You know, prayer is the soul's sincere desire. And it works. And I know it works. And when you have that many people praying for one thing, God does listen. I, I think God's got a very good sense of humor. I mean, you look at the <laughs> the weather and and what all's going on, and when people try to say, "I know what this is, this or this is that," God lets you know in a hurry who's in charge of all this. And you have no idea what's going on. 
But that gave me so much hope for the American people. And if, if they'll just learn to turn to God in all things, this country would be so great. But yeah, I'm uplifted. I'm 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 really uh really happy for this occasion. So that kid came out like he's he's home now, I think. I think he went home yesterday. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. Yeah, and um now, you know, give God the glory. I mean that that's you know, that's the way I was taught. And um and I think you've got to give God the glory. Rev said something interesting. You know, God seemed to listen. I think God always listens to our prayers. I mean scripture says that. God answers prayers. But, but this is an example that you know, if there is very an, evident if there's an if there's been an indifference toward God in our country, and that's something that we talk about a lot. And here is a very public situation where you can say, All right, this happened, I saw this, the prayer, the the whatever your feeling is, and then I see this result. I mean, is an example, is it a sign? No. Is it a lesson we should all learn? It's a lesson we should all learn, will we? Ah, history says not. History says those moments are short-lived and we're back to business as usual. Take a break. Back in a minute. Welcome back. Hour number two, Brian Braddock, city council member, will be with us at about 730. We've got another variety of guests here. I've actually got somebody who is going to be represented in court by artificial intelligence. It's kind of an interesting story that Freehold found for us uh, this morning. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Charles and Lamar. Good morning, Charles. Speaking of artificial intelligence, um, <laughs> you know, Jeff calls into your show and he disagrees with just about everything that I say and think, but he's a very intelligent, knowledgeable individual and he makes me think. Now, when I'm done thinking, I usually still think what I thought to begin with, but he, he stimulates my mind and he makes me think, and I enjoy his calls. You have other callers that call in that absolutely have proved to me that facts don't matter at all. They make up things, they say whatever they want to say, like the 150 people that got killed on January 6th, just made up out of thin air, and we have to listen to them. I think that's a very important point that those of us in the 40%, and I, I believe this country's 40% right and 40% left and, and about 20% in the middle that really decide everything. But those of us in the 40% need to realize that a large portion of that other 40% facts don't matter don't matter to them at all um and i thought about that when you got your call yesterday and you know the one i'm talking about i think uh, i do thank you charles thank thank you no is he finished okay okay i'm sorry i thought charles was finished maybe i cut him off if i did he certainly called back and um and uh and say whatever it was he was going to finish saying i'm sorry i didn't mean to i thought he was done um Talking about, you know, the, the callers. And, and Jeff does stimulate me, and Jeff makes me kind of scratch my head. I mean, I got other people in my life that make me scratch my head and wonder why I believe what I believe. I go back to the 20% number, and I don't know that that's the number. I have no idea if that's the number of not. Um, 
because I've argued, Rev and I, I mean, we actually had a kind of an open debate over the airwaves yesterday about, you know, when I get so frustrated, and I'll give an example, the um, the electric stove versus the gas stove. I mean, to me, that's government just absolutely dictating every term and condition of how you live your life. Crazy. And um, They've le- They lost their minds. Well, I mean, the Consumer Product Safety Commission has a commissioner named Richard Trumka. I mean, it was a, it was a payoff for him. You know, delivering most of the union vote to Biden, so Biden makes him a hot shot. And um, and he his quote, and I'll quote it exactly: "Products that can't be made safe can be banned." I mean, that's that's him saying that government has the right to tell you what you can do or not. If the government deems something unsafe, well, let me tell you, Richard Trumka, I know that drinking Jefferson's Ocean is unsafe, but I'm gonna do it. I know that driving 80 miles an hour when I'm behind on the interstate trying to get somewhere, I know that's unsafe, but I'm going to do it. I mean, I'll take the chance. I'll suffer the consequence if I get caught. I'll pay the speed ticket. I'll pay the increase in insurance. That's the point I've historically tried to make. I'm tired of government. And that's what leads me down the road to Wyoming. Just to be left alone. But I never thought I would be that person who just wanted to be left alone. And I don't want to be left alone by Jeff. And I don't want to be left alone by Charles. I enjoy some of the discussions and debates we have. I, I'm, I'm enthusiastically supportive of that back and forth, that give and take. But I want the government to leave me alone. If I want to smoke a damn cigarette, I'll smoke a cigarette. If I want to eat steak instead of grilled fish, I'll eat steak instead of grilled fish. I know it's not as healthy for me. If I want to go to the gym, I'll go to the gym. If I don't want to go to the gym, I won't go to the gym. If I want to drink Pepsi, I'll drink Pepsi. If I want to drink Diet Pepsi, I'll drink Diet Pepsi. I understand that I'm taking a risk. I'm accepting of that risk. That's called liberty and freedom and personal responsibility and self-accountability. I'm cool with all that. I mean, I know when I go to the beach and sit around a fire, I'm better off drinking water than I am bourbon. But I like to drink a little bourbon every now and then. When I sit on the beach with my wife, I know I'm better off drinking unsweetened tea than a blue moon, but I like my blue moon when it's 100 degrees outside. When I go back home and, and my wife says, you want to go to the grocery store and get something to eat, there's all the grilled salmon I could eat right there. But I may grab the steak. I may grab the hamburger. I may grab anything. I, chew, I may ba- grab a bag of Doritos if I want to. And Richard Trumpka doesn't have the right to tell me how to live my life. The government does not have, I've got the right to take risk if I choose within a certain amount of reason. And I think when the government says, hey, we've decided that cooking on gas or cooking with gas is is a bit more dangerous than cooking with an electric stove. And because of that, the 40% of Americans who cook with gas need to remove that stove and insert. That's when I'll go to prison. I mean, you're nodding your head. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're less rambunctious than I am. <laughs> I mean, it's just... It's absurd. Exactly. Absurd I mean, it's is absurd. the word. It, it's the government <laughs> telling you that you can't take any chances in your life. What, what, what would America look like if people never took chances? What would America look like if we indeed... <laughs> would there be th- an America? There wouldn't be an America. I mean, we'd be, we'd be living under Stalin. Or, or some other dictator or monarch or king. I mean, that, that's, that's the entire American experiment. At the core of the American experiment, the foundation of the American experiment is a refusal to bow to a king. Why? Because the king wanted more authority than people believed he was entitled to. 
And would Richard Trumpka speaks on behalf of the federal government and the Biden administration and says products that can't be made safe, can we make bourbon safe? Can we make um, uh, hamburger meat safe? I mean, we can make I'm going to make a decision to, to indulge myself at times if I choose to. I don't smoke, but if I wanted to, you know what? I got a right to. I don't have a right to offend you and smoke at the table next door, secondhand smoke. We got a lot of research that says that's dangerous. I don't have a right to do that, and I shouldn't do that. I should be on guard and respectful to my fellow man. But, but if I want to grill a steak on a gas grill, that's my business. And once the government starts intruding on those rights to privacy, we're done. I mean, as Joe likes to say, we're done. I mean, I'll join Joe's club. I mean, if that's where we are, if they, if, if more than 5% of Americans are okay with the government dictating what sort of stove we can cook on, then we are done. Let's go to the phone. Barry and Gerard. Morning, Barry. Hey, morning, guys. So, Ken, uh, the government wants you to drive electric cars, all right? Say so that's, you know, for them. I cars. ain't doing it. Yep. So the government wants you to not have a gas stove. So that's for safety. So, you know, the government does not want you to eat red meat. But the government will let you kill children. They will mandate vaccines that kill children and people. You get it? Everybody better wake up. They want to cut the cars off when they when you don't go with what they are about. They want to cut your heat off, okay? That's electricity. If you don't have a gas stove back, back in the old days with the old people, you know, the, uh, the gas kept the kept the house warm right so they want to cut that off so i mean it's it's going down that slope everybody knows where it's going it, it it's it's like what you say uh ken so either gonna go one way or another it, it, it's time for the people to just stand up and say listen all this all this bs it, it, we got to kick it out I, I mean some of these people need to be removed they have to be removed from office this is just gaslighting uh, that's all they do Every day, and it started with Obama. Okay, let's call it what it is. He brought it in, and that's where it's at now. They want depopulation. This is what they're about. So they're they're showing the cards, which I'm glad they're showing it. So so we know what we're dealing with. But how many? Thank you, Barry. Appreciate it. But how many of us have the ability to discern? I wrote three names down this morning: Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, Joe Biden. You know what they have in common? Oh, they have a lot in common. But you know the one critical uh, reality they have in common right now classified documents <laughs> true i mean trump got accused of what hoarding classified documents hiding classified documents being irresponsible with classified documents you know what miss clinton got accused of basically disposing of classified information you know remember when she said to, like wipe it clean and she said with a cloth well i mean how many americans i put a tweet out yesterday um one, one of the um leading liberal um uh, tweets or, or twitterers is, is a guy that worked for the Biden administration, worked for the Obama administration. I'm sorry. He's an activist Democrat. got a big following. I think it's not might be John Cooper. You got a picture of him and his husband um, kind of superimposed in his Twitter file. Oh. Um, but, but anyway, he put out, he kind of had a scorecard of what all Trump did in regards to uh, classified information and what Biden did in regards to classified information. Now, despite nobody knowing what Biden did, and I got an opinion on what I think Biden did, I've not heard anybody say this. You know what I think Joe Biden did? I think Joe Biden carried that classified information 
to the Penn Biden Center, which which I looked this morning. I mean, they, they, they say that they are the embodiment of diplomacy and global engagement. That's their word, not mine. They kind of sort of admit in a roundabout way that they've accepted somewhere in the neighborhood of $50 million in anonymous Chinese donations. I mean, that's pretty wow. provable there. We don't know exactly wow. where it came, but but about $50 million was donated by um, the Chinese government in, in, in kind of an anonymous sort of way. I mean, it's hard to explain over the radio, but if you if you really read some of the articles, you can kind of put two and two together, and you guys are smarter than I am, so I know you can do it if I can. But but about $50 million to pay for the Biden Excuse me, the Penn Biden Center. And Biden went to Delaware, I think, didn't go to Penn, but he wants to be Ivy League, somebody can't stand it. Uh, that was a real country. Somebody can't stand it. Um, but but the, the, the center is, um, the, the intent is, or the, the active engagement is, diplomacy and global engagement. So here's what I think Joe Biden did. Joe Biden wrote a book, if I'm not mistaken, um, it was about his son. It was about, um, you know, make me a promised dad or something. I don't know the name of the book. I'll try to look during the break, but it was a, it was kind of a bite. He never wrote the book, guys. Somebody ghost wrote the book. I mean, he's a vice president. Nobody believes Biden's an author. I mean, he's not that deep a thinker. Uh, he's a simple-minded politician. We're trying to find out whether he's a crook or not. I think he's a big, big crook. But we know he's a simple-minded politician because there's a career, there's a body of work to show him being a very simple-minded politician. But he wrote a book about, you know, dealing with his son's cancer Make me a promise, Dad, or something like that is the name of the book. And he says that Bo Biden always told him, make me a promise, Dad, that you'll execute the job of vice president despite my being sick. And um, and I, I'll say this, Joe Biden's had too many tears in his life. And I do. Uh, I'm, I, there, there's a human side of me that says I'm sorry for that. But but I'm talking politics. I'm not talking about his personal life. That, that Joe Biden has shed too many tears in regards to personal tragedies. And my heart breaks for that. But But he's the president. He was the vice president. There's a responsibility that goes along with that. And um, and he doesn't deserve any more you know preferential treatment than you or I if he did these things. But we know the way Trump was treated, right? I mean, there's no question about oh, yeah. it. We Great. know the way Ms. Clinton was treated. I mean, he was slapped on, she was slapped on the wrist. Trump faces an eventual indictment. And I think Biden really screwed it up. You know, when, when Biden was found to have classified documents, you know what I thought of? Remember when Obama said, don't underestimate Joe's ability to F things up? Mm-hmm. Well, he's really done it this time. Because <laughs> how do you indict Trump? You know, for having classified documents right. in his personal um, in his personal possession, but but here's what Oops. I think happened. I think Joe Biden told the folks that Ghost Ghost wrote the book that he says he wrote because the book's about Ukraine and Iraq and Central America and him trying to go see his son in the hospital, and it's it's kind of a um, pulling at the heartstring effort of, of me trying to be a good dad, loving my son while executing the jobs of vice president. And President Obama put him in charge of some of these foreign affairs because he was a longtime senator. He'd been on many, many, many diplomacy trips, you know, representing the United States of America, the U.S. Senate. So anyway, I think that somebody got their hands on this information. And I think the book was probably transcribed, written at the Biden, at the Penn Biden Center for um, diplomacy and global engagement. And I think they lifted some of the notes off of the classified information in the book. I've not read the book, and I'm speculating. I am 1,000% speculating. I don't think Joe Biden wrote the book. I think when the people that ghost wrote the book asked Biden, um, hey, can you sit down with us and explain to us uh, about this trip to Afghanistan? 
this trip to Iraq, this trip to Ukraine, this trip to Central America. I think Biden basically said, hey, I've got a lot of notes somewhere. Let me get somebody to get those notes for you. So I think included in this book is classified information. Oh, oh I, I believe that. I mean, I, I okay. believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And you've given me a little credit of having a BS meter. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, I just went, when I read the article that Andy McCarthy put together in National Review, hmm. uh, the, the wheels start turning. And I'm not a lawyer, and I'm not nearly as educated as those guys are. But something tells me that the reason that classified information, because we think it's regarding China and some foreign travels, the reason that classified information is in the Biden or in the Penn Biden Center is because the people writing the book needed something to write about. Joe couldn't remember anything, but he did say, or somebody in his orbit said, we've got these notes. They may be classified, but nobody will ever know. And we'll lend them to the Biden diplomacy, excuse me, the Biden, um, the Penn Biden Center, and you guys can keep them for as long as you'd like. Uh, we knew they had the notes. The, the Department of Justice knew they had the classified information November 2nd of last year. When was the election? Oh, the next week. Yeah. After that. They knew. I mean, it, the revelation was made known November 2nd, 2022. Hmm. The DOJ decided to not act upon that information Surprise. until January of 2023. After Republicans are sworn in to take over the House of Representatives. Correct. I may try to read that book. And juxtapose some of what I read with some of the content we find, because we we may or may not find out. But here's the point I want to make. When you look at Trump, Clinton, and Biden, let's go back to what Charles said. How many people believe what the media is saying about Trump compared to Biden? Because my point on Twitter yesterday to John Cooper, and Cooper's got millions of followers, Cooper basically said that, you know, Trump had a hundred documents. He was not compliant. He was not working with the DOJ, you know, yeah, Joe had some documents, but he was working with the DOJ. He's followed all the rules since he's been called to the carpet. And, and my tweet was, if you rob a bank and steal a million dollars, or you rob a bank and steal a hundred dollars, aren't you still a bank robber? I mean, if somebody has classified information, don't they still have classified information? But the American public, if you did a poll, they would believe that Donald Trump having classified information is far more dastardly than Hillary Clinton having information or Joe Biden having information. And you know why they believe that? Because they're just stupid. They're lazy and they're stupid. You aren't. The, the, the majority of listeners to this show aren't because you've made an effort to try and engage in civil discourse. Jeff's not. Charles isn't. Um, Joe's not. I'm going to leave somebody out here in a second. Um, you know where I'm headed. Larry's not. I mean, all these good callers to this show have made an effort to try and better understand issues that make our world go around. But the masses who watch Seinfeld trying to buy a lottery ticket at the convenience store, and once again, the, the, the great divide in America today is not whether you believe in God or not. It's the 62% of us who are in the workforce trying to get our business done while the 38% who are not <laughs> don't have a damn thing to do and slow us from being as productive as we need to be to provide the amenities of of, um, of government largesse as they have. Isn't the biggest surprise in this whole thing, though, to find out that Joe Biden has a think tank? Well, I mean, it's a think tank in name only. I can assure <laughs> you think tank of that. Let's Biden? go. To the, is somebody on the phone? Let's go there. Larry in the PD. Hello, Larry. Good morning. 
um, you took a left on me. I was going to call and talk about the gas stove thing. Well, take the ride. Yeah, but you know you're entitled. Have, have at it, my man. I mean, the floor is yours. Well, I was going to say, have you have you ever heard the common phrase? A lot of times when people talk with, with government employees, they say, look, I pay your salary, mister. And part of the reason that we say that is because we say, well, I pay your salary. Therefore, I have a claim on what you do, right? I, I have a say-so, okay, because I pay for this, right? And you look at this, this gas stove issue and you say, well, how do we get here? Well, it's real simple. Um the American people say, I don't want to pay for chronic health care for children with asthma because it's expensive and you're using our tax dollars. And, you know, now because everybody is subsidized, me and you, you know, we've got government, you know, government health care, government this, government that. Everybody is paying for something for everybody else. So now they feel like they're entitled to have a say. So. Because I'm paying for your child's health care, I think I have a right to tell you how to parent your kid, right? Don't do these things that I say are bad for your children, and I put government officials in charge that will carry that out. It's, it's you know, you're kind of saying, you know, we're, we're going to say no to this. No, no, we're not. This is the danger of socialism, and this is why we don't realize how much of it we really have. We've socialized health care risk. We've socialized the legal system. We've socialized the income system. Uh, you know, I have a right to tell you what to do because I'm the one who sends you your welfare check. And we just don't realize that that's where they draw this moral authority from, where they think they can tell you that you can't have a gas grill, you can't have a gas stove inside. Here's the thing. I don't even have kids. But they're going to ban them anyway. Right? I mean, you know, when my kids are grown, they're gone. There's nobody in my house getting, there's no children getting asthma. I mean, I don't even have a gas stove, but now I want to go out and buy one. <laughs> but, um, but we've allowed them to, to creep in with their money, and now they feel like they have the right to tell us what to do. Because the government is telling the, the, the American people, hey, I pay your salary, so you'll do what I say. It's the same thing now. See, they've turned the tables on you. Well, explain. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate that, my man. Yeah, if I take a left and you guys are on the phone, take the right. I mean, that doesn't offend me at all. I mean, I was disrespectful to you a little bit, so be disrespectful back back to me. We have that sort of uh, of relationship here at Wake. Larry's right. I mean, you know, it's almost like we've been forced to, to we're in this thing together. You know, the notion of socialism, uh, the state-run economy, you know, the state-run healthcare system. Um, you got to be careful, and I'm telling you, Lining up with the government is unbelievably lucrative. Standing in opposition to the government can be extremely complicated, and that's by design. And most smart people, this I know I'm not very smart, most smart people prefer to kind of align themselves with government. I got buddies of mine. Why do you make it so hard? I mean, what's so difficult about doing this? Or Because do, I don't want to do it. I don't like doing it. Why don't you like doing it? Why don't you want to do it? Because the government says I have to do it this way. But, but the government's made it quite lucrative. I mean, they've incentivized businesses to line up with them. They've incentivized organizations to, to make sure you're kind of aligning your, in other words, um, not only will uh, you want to, if, if you align with us, we'll let you help build a machine. You know what I mean? You'll, you'll, when we talk about the house and what they're doing or not doing, remember I said maybe one day last week, when they vote on a piece of legislation, it's normally to make a deal with business. 
or, you know, it's the pharmaceutical industry, it's the insurance industry, it's the, you know, it's the healthcare industry, it's the, it's the food and beverage industry, it's the hospitality sector. Somebody who sector. has some lobbyists. Sure. I mean, it's the tourism industry. Um, and, and the $1.7 trillion stim, I mean, excuse me, uh, omnibus bill allowed them to make a bunch of deals with, you know, with, with uh, I mean, on behalf of taxpayer dollars, but they did it w- without a vote. I just think if we had, now, now I don't believe this, and I think Larry touched on this last week, it doesn't matter if we played I mean, if you force kids to watch Congress in in session from the time they get to school to the time they left school, they probably still wouldn't understand it. I, I you know, and this is so old fashioned. We got to get back to teaching civics, you know, and 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 what it's like to live in a representative uh, democracy. What what that really means. But but Larry's exactly right. I mean, the, the um the the socializing of big facets of our life have forced us to kind of sort of all be in this thing together, whether you want to be or not. Take a break. Back in a minute. As much as I railed against the water situation in the city, why would a member of city council reach out to me? <laughs> I mean, I assumed if I reached out to Brian, he'd say, no, punishment. I'm in the Bahamas and I won't be back until sometime in, uh, in March because I've heard you rant and rave about the, uh, the, the situation in water. Brian Braddock, city council members with us, the only elected Republican in city government, um, and I'm proud that a Republican shows up to try to address a very touchy issue. Brian and I were just talking, and I want to give a little bit of the backstory. I get to council in 2006, county council, not city council, county council in 2006, and I began sniffing around. Um, and I found out that the county had sold the water system in 2004 for $3.7 million. It's called a consolidation agreement. It was paid over time. We could go in infrastructure and allotment of infrastructure funds and whatnot per district spending and whatnot. But but the the I mean the cliff note is the city buys the water system from the county for three point seven million dollars. It eventually generates somewhere in the neighborhood of fifty million dollars annually, maybe in excess of fifty million dollars annually. And uh, so that's kind of where we were. Now, now where we are, and I, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge Brian a little bit. I don't think Brian minds this. Um, I think the city's been negligent in critical maintenance. I think they've taken the revenue generated by water and done some probably wonderful things, but have neglected the responsibility to maintain a very vital and critical part of our city's infrastructure. The floor is yours. Well, I mean, fair enough. And like you say, you know, I, I'm coming in. I've been on city council for two years, and um, and I just got reelected. And, and the first thing, I'm a glutton for punishment. That's why I call it. Well, I mean, you're a guy that doesn't <laughs> hide behind the you know the door, and I appreciate that. I applaud you for that. Brian, Brian I mean, just so you know, I text Brian occasionally, and I say, be careful there. What do you about? I said, I've just done this a while. Be careful there. And Brian always responds and says, okay, here's what I'm thinking. And I applaud a county council or city council member um, for being willing to address the public about a very complicated, difficult issue. But we've got a mess on our hands. It's not Brian Braddock's fault, guys. I mean, this goes back, you know, to 20 or 30 or maybe even 40 years, the avoidance of um, it's easy for politicians to spend money on shiny things because they get a lot of credit. Water lines are buried. Right. There's not a lot of groundbreaking. You know, they're, they're, I mean, it's an ugly blood and gut kind of infrastructure, but it's so critical. So, Brian, what sort of vision do you have in addressing a problem that I'll agree you didn't create? Well, the first thing, uh, I'd like to set a couple of bases because this all generated because of a post that I put in terms of how do we solve the problem. Um, first of all, I remember growing up, people asked me why I have braces at 50 years old. Well, two reasons. One, vanity. <laughs> two, my parents couldn't pay for it. Uh, but I remember growing up, my mom was from Timmonsville, and uh, she, her teeth were stained. She, you know, she, 
well water her whole life and how important it was for city water. I remember specifically her wanting to get city water because it had fluoride in it, you know, and that that would help our teeth because she couldn't afford braces. The second thing is not one red penny, you know, penny used to be all copper. Now it's red with 10 covers 10, but that's government, but not one red penny of our tax money goes to water. This is not paid for by your taxes. And then lastly, the free market, I got a bottle of Aquafina, I think it's about a half a gallon, is $2.49 for fresh water. So that's what the free market value of, of fresh water is. Um, but the thing is, how we got here, I, I can't, there's nothing that I can do about that. But you'll admit mistakes were made. Absolutely. Okay. You know, absolutely. Um, and, you know, probably probably on both sides there was county mistakes made that got to the point where they were willing to sell the water you know and and certainly there's been you know city mistakes after to get us to a place where um my post was that we need approximately 200 million dollars that's what i've been told and that's to address more sewer storm water and surf and have another surface water plant so, and a lot of that will be paid by some other federal funds and whatnot. Um, I, I've been told that a hundred million of, of that can happen with no increase in our water bill. Um, but then the other infrastructure fixing what's underneath the ground, that's potentially another hundred million, another 150 million. So yes, we're in a bad situation when we have five days of freezing water and we don't have water, you know, for 24 hours. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a bad situation. We need to address that. And my post was, what's it going to cost? And, and we as a citizen might have to bear some of that cost because we need water is essential. Um, and people don't want to hear that, and, and it's not popular. But you, you can't go back and, and look at what everybody else did and, and, and put blame. I'm, I'm thinking about my daughter in 20 years. And I want her to have good, healthy water. Can I jump in and say, do you mind me saying this? When you put the post on Facebook, I, I text you. Yes, sir. And I said, be careful with that. You know, let, let's talk through some of these things. Because once again, Brian wants to, and I'll give him credit for this. He, he's honorable and honest and decent, and he wants to kind of address an issue that has to be addressed. But there's still politics involved in this. And, and you know, as a friend, I don't want my political friend to get himself in, in harm's way needlessly. So, Brian... $400 million is a lot of money. I mean, if you're, if you're running New York City, it's one thing, but we're not running New York City. Right. You know what I mean? Our revenues are limited. What, what I mean, I, you can't speak for council, but, but what do you expect the plan to be? We've got to address the problem. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We can't have the issues we had every time we have, you know, an extended period of below freezing weather. What, what does Brian Braddock perceive as a legitimate starting point to begin the process of, of fixing the problem? Well, I think the starting point is we're all in this together. I think that we need to establish an ad hoc committee. One, one of the, the biggest thing that I noticed when I was reading those posts is there's a lack of transparency and there's a lack of trust. And people have politicized and weaponized one of our basic um, necessities of life, and that's water. And we, we need to have a Republican and Democrat from city council, a Republican and Democrat from county council, someone from economic development, and a citizen from the county and a citizen from the city on some type of ad hoc committee or committee to come together, find out what it's going to cost, what the situation is, 
and together formulate a plan for the solution. You know, we all, we have people that are next door to each other. One's in the city and one's in the county and one's paying, you know, this price for a water tap and one's paying this another price for a water tap. Now, my friends on the city aren't going to like this, but I don't think that's right. I don't agree with it. I think it's the same water. I think everybody ought to pay the same amount for the same water. But politically speaking, you know, the city people that I represent in District 3 aren't going to like the fact that the first step to getting there is we're going to have to pay more because right, well, the county people are paying more for water. Let, let, let's work on a deal here. I mean, my mind, I mean, the busy head syndrome's already in gear. Here we go. So what if the county, I'm speaking for the county now, <laughs> uh, what if the county were to agree in the next capital capital penny tax? I mean, it's a referendum. The, the public decides whether they choose to support or not. Um, the last two have passed overwhelmingly. The last three, I think, have passed overwhelmingly. What if the county were willing to contribute financially to the sustainability of the city's water department if the city gave county residents a break on the price? You just said that you agree with everybody paying the same price for water. As part of a swap-off, what if the city water got a little cheaper? I mean, excuse me, the city water, city residents' water got a little bit more expensive. County water residents got a little bit cheaper. They were all paying the same, but the county offered up some assistance in the next round of one penny tax. I mean, is that something, is that a good starting point? Yeah, that would that, be Are huge. those the sorts of conversations you're talking about having? Absolutely. Me and Jerry Yarbrough had lunch yesterday, and that's exactly what we were talking about. There's there's federal grant funds that the county can get. They're, the problem is we're not working together. You know, the county had it, the city owns it, and, and let it be as it may. Well, that's not the way forward. The way forward is this is all of our problem, and we all benefit from it, and and everybody's got something to contribute. But you're on the record saying that you think city and county residents should pay the same price per unit per gallon of water, and the tap fee should be should be the same. One hundred percent. I think initially when the city took over the county water, you know, I hope that this is the case. There was a lot of improvements that needed to be made. So at that time, it was not. I guess it was stated that it wasn't fair for city um, residents to pay for the upgrades of the county water system. I agree with that. So there might have been a time where it needed to be a different fee because there were things that needed to be fixed. So, But I think that that time has passed. It's been 20 years. It's the same water going through the same pipes. And and it would be like, and, and Jerry Arborough brought up a, a, a very good point. He said, Florence County EMS. When they come to your house, Brian, they don't charge you any more than they come when they go to the county. And he's right. And and it's those things that cause such contention and spill over into other areas of our local politics. I mean, this is, I would say this is the number one contention between city and county council. Well, I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's a big revenue generator. And, and once again, I think, I mean, I'll say this to you, I mean, not you personally, but I think the city has lived out of the revenue stream. They've not devoted enough of that revenue to critical maintenance. And here we are, um, and we're going to have another coal spell, and we're going to be without water. And I tell you, you think life sucks when your ESPN doesn't work. Uh, how about when you don't have when you don't have adequate water? Brian Braddock might be the first person from the city I've ever heard say on the record that we should have one rate, one tap fee for both county and city residents. And to me, that's a good starting point. I mean, that's a positive um, olive branch to the county folks who have the ability to participate in some way, shape, or form. Should a regional, last question, 
Should a regional water authority be on the table in some way, shape, or form? I mean, there's a lot to be discussed there. And the devil's in the details, no question about it. But the late James Schofield and I once talked about it. And you know James was kind of a technocrat. Um, James James kind of, kind of um, toyed with the idea of the county and city devoting X amount of resources to a regional water authority. Is that something I'm not proposing because I'm not in a position to propose it. But is that something that would be, uh, I mean, you can't speak for city council, but is that something that could be on the table? You know, I need to research it more. I think Horry County does that. They do? Yeah. And I think that it starts first by having, like I said, that collective committee. You know, people from both sides to decide that. I, I, I don't know the details of that. You know, I do know that the more that we control locally, the better that we are. You know, and, and the last thing, um, well, other than any other questions, and I know this isn't popular, but I pulled up my water bill. Now, I got five girls. Let's do know. this. Hang okay, on. I go want ahead. you to stay. We got to take, take a break. break. Don't want to get too far behind. I want to take a break, come back, get Brian the floor, let him finish his comments and thoughts. But I don't want to get too far behind, too jammed up, as we say, <laughs> in the country. Back in a minute. I'm normally bad about interrupting Rev. I try to be a little more respectful <laughs> of our guests, but we do have certain points we have to take breaks, and that was one. I'll let Brian, Councilman Brian Braddock from Florence City Council continue with his thoughts. Well, I was just going to say, if I'm going to take a beating over the head, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, take it over the head. But I have a household of six, five of them women, you know, so washing clothes, you know, washing hair. We use a lot of water. I'm looking at my water bill. We use about nine to 10,000 gallons a month. That's a lot of water for six people. And my water bill, if you exclude, you know, landfill fee and stormwater fee, and we can talk about that at a different time. But my water, water and sewer, I'm looking at probably about $80 a month. And what I'm saying is for something so vital to everyday life that we as citizens are going to have to get get over certain things and know that there's going to be an increase for something so vital. And it's not politically, um, uh, politically good you know, to tell people that something's going to go up. But it's also, I'm not going to tell my daughters 20 years from now that because dad wanted to get reelected, he didn't tell people what it was going to cost to fix water, and he didn't tell them that their price was going to have to go up to do it. You know, I mean, I think that that's irresponsible. And and I got elected in the office to look out for people today and look out for people tomorrow in this community that I love and we cannot grow and sustain our community without water. But it's I think impossible. the one thing you've done is, is agree that we should create equality amongst rates and tap fees. And if you've offered that as an overture to the county, they should be more than willing to sit down and address where the funding is, what sort of partnerships and relationships you can you can enhance. And that's your vision. You don't Absolutely. have the answers. I mean, I've not heard I've not heard you say, "Hey, I have all the answers. Get out of my way and let me fix it." We've got a big problem. It's going to take a big solution, but it's going to take a lot of collaboration. And and I think the olive branch you've offered, you can't speak for council, and probably get outvoted. Um, <laughs> but but that's something you are willing to offer up. And I think any county council member should be more than willing to engage in, in a further and more entailed conversation. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Brian Braddock, city council member, talking about the water. And, and you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Politicians love, um, it's kind of a necessity of the business, uh, the, the craft, the trade, the art. Um, you, you like doing positive things. 
And and when you're asking people to make a bigger investment in the water system, that is not real. It's not glitzy or glamorous. I mean, we like convention centers and we like hotels connected to convention centers and we like parks and ball fields. But because once again, the optic is I'm making my community better. But I can assure you with this, guys, when economic development potential clients come to town, they do ask about quality of life. But that's after they want to know if you can have dependable and affordable water, dependable and affordable energy. And if you can't provide dependable, affordable energy, dependable, affordable water, there ain't a Ritz-Carlton to be built in Florence County that would entice those people uh, to make a commitment to come here. And I applaud Brian, and I mean this sincerely, because when he put it on Facebook, I kind of sent him a text, and I said, hey, uh, you know, uh, be careful there. And he reached back out to me, and we've conversed or conversated, you know, <laughs> in, the last, in the last couple of weeks about it. And, um, and I applaud a politician who reaches out to a crazy radio show host and says, hey, I want to come on the show and explain, you know, kind of where I am and what my position is. And I've been around this pol- political world and this community for a while. I've never heard a representative from the city say that I think the county residents should pay the same fee, uh, a tap fee, and the same rate as city residents do. And I applaud you for that. And I mean that sincerely, Councilman. Uh, Brian Braddock with us. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937, Brian Braddock. I applaud Brian for coming in and offering up a, an opinion. I mean, I don't know if he offered up a solution because that's a hard ask. I mean, it really and truly is. But starting um, a conversation is well, I mean, good. Pre- previous councils were negligent in their you know maintenance of a critical infrastructure. And here we are 30 years after the fact. And um, I mean, there's an old saying in business that, that a... Um, a business owner's W-2 says he makes $70,000 a year, but he's living out of the business. I mean, everything in his life is business-related, and it really is. I mean, my father, I mean, every trip I ever went on with my dad, we picked up a truck. We carried something somewhere. I mean, it was always fun and work kind of sort of combined with one another, and it was always, I mean, his entire life was around that business. So, so small businessmen and women um, everything is business related. And I just think, um, I just think they've lived out of it. The, they've lived out of the revenue generated by the water. And, um, and there's gotta be some sort of, um, I mean, you gotta fix it. You, you can't have water. You can't have water pressure going to about zero every time we have an extended period of cold. I mean, it's gotta be addressed. What, what is the fairest way to address it on behalf of the taxpayer would be my, my primary interest. And as I'm listening to you and, uh, councilman Braddock talk, and you're proposing these ideas, and you're kind of doing it publicly right here on, on the air. I mean, you, you're talking about these ideas that are just ideas at this point, but that's how things start. But, I mean, that's that's basically politics, right? It is, and I know a little bit more than probably most radio show hosts because I got elected to council in 06. They sold the water system in 04. I asked a lot of questions when I got there. The majority of my questions were, why did we sell something that generates revenue um, and we sold it for pennies on the dollar, so to speak? Now, the county had made some mistakes. But um, but my concern was we just sold something that generates revenue, has the ability to grow, and the, the, the county residents are going to pay a higher fee, a higher tap fee, a higher rate. Made no sense to me. But um, but, but you got to have practical-minded people. you got to have thinkers. you got to have people with entrepreneurial vision uh, about what to make it better. The only thing I've ever done as an elected official, Rev, and I mean this sincerely, I mean, I've made some bad votes, and I've made some mistakes, obviously, I made some campaign finance-related mistakes, but but every vote I ever took, I looked at it as, as if I was building truck beds. What is the return on this investment? And the investors were the taxpayer. So if you're asking the taxpayer 
to, 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 to contribute X or Y or Z to this government-run agency, what are they getting for that? And I think if you're asking the taxpayer of Florence County to agree on a referendum to contribute X number of dollars to maintaining or, or catching up on the maintenance of a water, what are they getting for that? They're getting reduced water rate. Or either you raise the city's rate. And I think Brian's the first member of city government that I've ever heard say it doesn't make any sense that county residents are paying more and city residents are paying less, but it's a monopoly. And monopolies have the power to do what? Abuse that privilege. And I don't know what water's worth, but is water worth more in the country than it's worth in the city? Of course not. I mean, that, that makes no sense at all. Um, but, but there's got to be some... So some people interested in coming up with a solution and so few politicians have the ability or the interest in coming up with a viable solution. But every vote I've ever taken, and I can, I mean, I can look anybody in the eye, every vote I ever took, I looked at it as an investment in government on behalf of we, the people, what do we, the people get for this amount of money? And, and you, you vote accordingly. Now it's hard to run it like a business. Because once again, my brother, my dad, and I could go in the doors, close the door behind uh, in his office, and fundamentally change the direction of our business because it was a, a private, you know, just private enterprise. Government's different. It takes a lot of um, collaborating and a lot of massaging and a lot of um, leaning on people to get them uh, to vote a, a certain way. And it gets frustrating at times. We got a big problem. There's not an easy answer, but something's got to start somewhere. And I think the city and county working together is a is a, a very viable and promising starting point. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Good morning. You got a Democrat council, right, Ken? You got I mean, one I mean, Republican. You got, you got me, yeah. So you got a you got one Republican on Florida City Council, right? Well, you can hang it up, brother. You can hang it up. Anyway, uh they're saying now that these kids are dying because of climate change. And then I heard you say something. They also are now claiming that the uh, gas stoves are bad for children. I find that extremely rich. That they, was, they want to ban gas stoves, but they want to give a six-month baby an unproven, untested vaccine that is proven more and more to be deadly. Here's another question for you, Ken. You know, you had the guy on yesterday, and I applaud him. He, you know, that fight needed to happen there. But is there anybody, do you really think, this is just me asking you, do you really think that anybody in Washington will be willing to do what's necessary or will enough people be willing to do what's necessary? Because right now I'm talking to people that are noticed. They're finally, you know, you've been ringing the alarm bell for a while now. About, yeah, and I think we've been in the recession for a year and a half. But is anybody going to be willing to do what's necessary to stop this insanity, which is being done on purpose by the Democrat Party? Make no mistake about it. When you start, everything that they're doing is being done on purpose, and they're doing it right. I've said that a thousand times. But if you think anybody in the Democrat Party is going to turn their back and, and, do, and make a reasonable compromise and say, listen, we don't mind invest, investing in we'll – let's invest in green energy – so to speak, or alternative forms of energy. But while we're doing that, we need gasoline. We need we need oil. We you know we need to drill for our stuff. We need to clean up our coal if we have to. But we need to use common sense. But we need to address the energy issue. We need to address the spending issue, and we need to address printing counterfeit money. Our government right now is 
breathing counterfeit money is worthless. So, I mean, do you think that anybody's going to do that, kid? And how long do you think this recession is going to last? And how much worse do you think it's going to get? Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. That's kind of an interesting question. We debated earlier this morning what the number is in federal debt totals that causes the economy to kind of go off the deep end, so to speak. Charlie Munger years ago said $23.45 trillion. He thought caused a lot of issues in the realities of our economy. Um, I don't think Munger predicted interest rates being at near zero. So the carrying cost of debt was a lot cheaper the last 15 years than we imagined it would be. I mean, if you sat down with Munger now, he'd probably say, yeah, but I based that number on 4%, you know, financing rates. It was at one, one and a half, two, two and a half percent. Uh, that number may be 32 or $33 trillion. The, the fundamental problem, guys, is the American people. I mean, really and truly, um, the Democrats count on I mean, it's critically important to their way of believing government should function if only 20% of us are critical thinkers. That's somebody tell me yesterday. Um, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a rocket scientist. I don't profess to be. Um, I'm probably in the average quintile of, you know, intellect and aptitude and IQ, uh, but, but I've been around a while and I've seen a lot of things in business and politics and life in general. Um, I've gotten to the point in my life people will come to me and so you got a minute, I want to ask you about something. I mean, I can remember, I mean, I sat down with an older gentleman yesterday because I had an issue that I needed some advice on. So I've always been, I don't know, smart enough to do that, to go to someone who has a lot of experience and, and savvy about dealing with things. But, but I had someone tell me yesterday, he said, I'll listen to you talk about the 20%. You're probably being generous when you say 20% of Americans have the ability and interest. I mean, I think more than 20% of Americans have the ability to critically think. But it's heavy lifting. I mean, we like watching Seinfeld. We like eating Twinkies. You know, we, we kind of sort of have become a nation who likes people telling us what to do. Why? Because I didn't make a mistake. They told me to do this. You know, do I cook on gas or electric? Uh, I don't know. The federal government said I can't cook on gas. They made my life a lot easier by telling me I must use electric. We've lost that independent spirit. And I think the reason we've lost a lot of that independent spirit, spirit, that rugged individualism, we've forsaken our right to critically think. I mean, I think 35% of Americans have the ability to critically think. I think 20% of us choose to. And I do lump myself in that 20%. I lump most of you in that 20%. There's a reason you're not listening to Taylor Swift this morning. You want to engage in some sort of discourse or dialogue about the nation in general. You can agree with Breeze or disagree. You can agree with me or disagree. But you've accepted... You've accepted some role in, you know, whether it's in spoken or spoken. We're talking about the nation in general. And I think 20% of us, because my buddy said, or my friend said, you know, so is the world a better place if you choose to go to Wyoming? You know, we've had this romance of if I win the lottery, if I win the lottery and I'm one of these 20% who critically think, I just give up. As we say in the country, I'm the hell out of here. You guys can have it. Hook, line, and sicker. I don't want any part of it. I go to Wyoming. I mean, if I had $100 million, go to Wyoming, buy me a ranch, deal with the blizzards, um, and just, you know, live my life the best way I know how. But, but don't, I have a, um, don't I have more of a responsibility to the nation that has blessed me with so much prosperity and, and life experiences? I mean, I could have been born in a cave in Afghanistan for whatever reason, and I think Buffett calls it the ovarian lottery. I won it the day I was born in America. So I'm an American 
who has the ability, I'm one of 35%. I mean, I'm not one of 1%, but I'm one of 35% that have the ability to critically think, to challenge what I'm told to do. When somebody says, take the vaccine, I say, why? Why? 65% of Americans say, okay. I mean, it's not even why. Now, the 35% that critically think, the 20% that are willing to do the work necessary to be a critical thinker, I mean, they're the ones that say why. They can be convinced to take the vaccine. Of course they can, if it makes sense. But, but Democrat policies in America require only about 20% of us critically thinking because we're going to challenge some of the things that they say. I wrote a note down this morning. I think the debate on climate change is about to change. And I think the really? reason the debate on climate change is about to change is the 20% of us aren't going to Wyoming. We didn't win the lottery. We've got to live in the world as it is. And we're beginning to empower ourselves by what happened at Twitter, what happened with the FBI, what happened with COVID, what happened with the vaccine, what's happening with Joe and Hunter Biden. I mean, they're, they're revelations every day that, that, that lead us to believe, wow, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a critical thinker. I mean, the media tried to label me a conspiracy theorist. The status quo and establishment of my own party, by and large, tried to label me a conspiracy theorist. I, it's been revealed that I'm just a critical thinker because when somebody told me that Twitter was working um, hand-in-hand with the FBI to change the outcome of the election, I mean, that, that takes a little bit of thinking and a little bit of discerning and a little bit of investigating on your behalf. When somebody says, you know, it's easy for me to do, guys, I get paid. I mean, I get a, I get a pretty decent paycheck to read stories about Twitter, to read stories about the FBI, to better understand COVID and the vaccine and Scott Gottlieb being on the Pfizer board while coordinating with Twitter. I mean, Scott Gottlieb is on CNBC, former FDA chair, as a $365,000 a year compensated member of the Pfizer board. CNBC is comfortable having this guy represent the the truth or not on the vaccine. You know why? Because they know 80% of you don't think. That's the problem. The problem is not the political body. The problem is what we, the people, have allowed the political body to get away with. And, and now it's kind of a joke. The joke's on us. They don't pay any attention. I mean, they're too busy watching Seinfeld. They're arguing about the SEC or the, the Big Ten. You know, they're arguing about Gamecocks and Tigers. They're not paying any attention to what we do. Do you really believe anybody knows what's in that 1.7 omnibus bill? If we don't, you know damn well they don't. But we've not assumed the responsibility necessary to live in a great nation. And until more than 20% of us understand the nuances of Twitter, the nuances of the FBI, COVID, vaccine, uh, Joe and Hunter Biden, we'll find out more because the Republicans are in charge. And I think they mean business. I mean, I really and truly think that the, the, so. the, the, the holdout to choose the speaker and the concessions he had to make to become speaker have led us to a much better place in American government. Will that number go from 20 to 35%? I don't know. But if it does, we are a better place. But I think climate change has been sold to the American people because they know you don't think much. Electric vehicles. How many debates have we had on um, the truth about electric cars? The truth about, you know, renewable energy. The truth about Twitter. The truth about COVID. The truth about vaccine. When 20% only pursue the truth, why would you tell 80% the truth? Why wouldn't you lie to 80% about everything if they don't give a rat's rear end? Really? 
I mean, if you've got an objective and a goal, and the goal is to have more control over people's lives, why wouldn't you lie? If you know only 20% care at the end of the day, I mean, the majority of people wake up every day worrying about what? Or is their family safe? And do I have any money in the bank? I mean, yeah, there's the occasional, you know, Georgia wins a championship. You know, the Gamecocks upset Kentucky. Clemson sides a five-star quarterback. Played around a golf and made, you know, six birdies. I mean, those are the life experiences. But, but some, some of the fundamentals that we've taken a pass on are so essential to who we are as a people. Let's go to the phone. Bobby in Hartsville. Morning, Bobby. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, I wanted to make a comment about the uh, about the water situation, even though I live in Hartsville. i got no dog in the fire. But it was just something I was thinking about as, as, as the guy was talking a while ago. Um, you know, just let me let me give you this example, and then I'll get into the water. But, you know, I, I used to complain about my electric bill until I started thinking about how much I'm paying per day for the electricity that I use. And uh, I remember we had like five in the household, $300 bill, something like that. And I did my, my math. It came out to about, forget the exact amount, maybe five bucks, you know. And I'm thinking $5 a day per person. And with all the things that we do with electricity every day, you know, it's not bad. And uh, so I kind of thought about it in a different way. And uh, I was doing a quick math while ago when he said that uh, his bill is $80 a month for six people in his household. That comes out about 15 cents a day per person. Not bad. But these things have to be explained to people when you're talking about increasing taxes by a penny or, or whatever. You know, I mean, penny don't seem like a much. You know, you're thinking they'd be willing to do it for what they're going to get. But uh, if, if they're talking about raising taxes and stuff like that, you kind of have to break it down so that people understand what they're getting. Thank you, Bobby. Appreciate that. Yeah, but I think water. I mean, you know, when you, when you look at the water, Rev said you said you're you're in the county. Mm-hmm. You're not a city resident, right? And your water bill is one hundred and sixteen dollars. So you, so you go from sixty dollars a month to one hundred sixteen dollars a month, and that gets to be a um a, a, you know a larger line item in your in your monthly right. budget. And we all live in these. What does it cost me per month? I mean, the you know the the the, the Wi-Fi bill, the former cable bill. I mean, I've read about how many people are not bundling anymore. Not you know they're cutting the cord, so to speak. I mean, that industry is eh, pretty much a dinosaur, to be honest with you. But, but you know, we're, we're, making, we're all making the same point. What did Bobby just say? Let's try and understand it. What, what did Bree say? Let's try and understand it. How many people are not even trying to understand it? Government can do what it chooses to do if nobody pays any attention. That's the problem in America today. We've got, uh, think about this, guys. The Republican Party professes to be conservative. And we're angry at the 18 members who tried to basically um, enact upon a conservative impulse they had. That the concern is not that 20, you know, um, libertarian-leaning Republicans chose to stand loud and proud. 200 were going to let things go as they were. Why were those 200 people willing to leave the rules in the House exactly as Nancy Pelosi had those rules in the House? Because they know you aren't paying attention. Take a break. Back in a minute. I've read a lot of interesting pieces about this um, this Biden classified material, or classified document story. The best I've read is in the National Review. Andy McCarthy um, kind of breaks it down the best he knows how. And, um, you know, you can argue whether it's as bad as Trump, as bad as Clinton. I mean, to me, if you, uh, if you rob a bank and get a million dollars, you're a bank robber. If you rob a bank and get $100, you're a bank robber. 
if you're in possession of classified documents without the government knowing or, you know, on the premises of whether it's a home in Mar-a-Lago or the, um, the Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement, you're still in violation of federal law as far as I'm concerned. We'll see how this sorts itself out. But uh, president of Take Back Action Fund, uh, Bush 2008, the only person in U.S. history to run a campaign defeating a majority leader in a primary, John Pudner. John, good morning. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. So there are some things we know, a lot we don't know. What do you make of it this morning? Well, I agree with your intro, although I would say I'm even more concerned with where these documents were, um, as opposed to locked up in Mar-a-Lago. Again, that could be an issue, too. But this center um, is is very suspect to me. We formally asked for an attorney general investigation of the relationship between UPenn and Biden. Uh, You had a president of UPenn who'd gotten tens of millions of dollars from China, uh, had then given Biden a no-show job in relation to this thing, a $911,000 a year job. He didn't teach a class. He didn't do anything else. So, you know, you can argue that indirectly China's funding the center where these things are found. So I just worry that this could be even more compromising than documents, you know, in Mar-a-Lago. And that's not to say that I'm saying there's no problem with documents in Mar-a-Lago. I don't know all the details. But, uh, but, but that's a great concern for me. This is something we've had an eye on for two years now. John, I'm going to speculate, and a lot of us do. I mean, I'm not a journalist. I'm an opinion monster. My opinion is um, I mean, there, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 50- million dollars in anonymous Chinese contributions relating to the Biden Center for uh, Diplomacy and Global Engagement. Joe Biden wrote a book, Promise Me Dad, A Year of Hope, Hardship, and Purpose. And in that book, he accounted for a lot of his travels to Ukraine, Central America, Afghanistan. Could, could it potentially be that some of these classified documents were what somebody used in writing a book? And, and what, what sort of violation? I mean, once again, I'm speculating, but, but as I I've never read that book, but I just wonder having that classified material in that location leads me to believe that may have been some of the information he leaned on when um when he either wrote or had someone ghostwrite that particular book. Certainly could be, and again, particularly because he wasn't teaching classes, which you know, which was supposedly the reason for him getting you know almost million dollars a year. Uh, for that uh, the the job with that center so yeah i i I am you know i'm concerned there um that could be um you know even cnn is starting to leak you know leak out some of the um you know what's been discovered documents on the ukraine as you said etc and so you know this is this is tricky i mean just who had access to that was someone ghostwriting i i mean rick grinnell who um you know did intelligence uh cabinet for for Trump and actually used to work for us before he got big time. But, you know, he has um, documented how the Chinese take even more junior people, employees at Lockheed and places and compromise them by paying them to do appearances in China and things. And then letting them know after a year, oh, by the way, you've already violated a bunch of U.S. laws. You know, now now give us, you know, give us a bunch of extra stuff we really need. So, you know, if they're willing to have that sophisticated operation at people way down the totem pole, you, you can imagine how they're working to try to have um, influence and compromise people, at least around the president. Last question. Is there anything we can do to make sure double standard doesn't apply? I mean, we know the nature of which they went after President Trump or former President Trump. Uh, there's a lot of suspicion amongst conservative world that will not see that sort of intensity. Is there anything 
conservative world can do to demand the same sort of treatment? Well, yes, the, the hypocrisy is amazing. Uh, you know, when you compare how politically the Russian hoax was used um, versus, um, hey, we turned over these documents for the election, two days before the election. There's no time, you know, for information to get out to voters and just let voters make a call. Does this make you uneasy? Does this affect how you vote in the midterms, et cetera? It's a double standard. Uh, believe it or not, the Pennsylvania attorney general did not investigate when we asked him to a year and a half ago. I think the um, the House Republicans will be much more likely to investigate. And, and who knows? Maybe they dig in and they say, hey, there's not much there. But at least I think this is a good thing about the balance of power, not having one side have both chambers and the White House is, you know, we do have the group that can investigate something relating to president. And that's that's the House. So uh, hopefully they have at it. Well explained. Thank you, John. Appreciate your time. Thank you. It's kind of an interesting. And once again, I'm speculating. I know nothing. I mean, I know nothing. Well, I say I know nothing. I know what I read and what I know I interpret. You know, so, so Andy McCarthy's got a good explanation. And, and McCarthy, you know, he says Trump broke the law. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He thinks Trump deserves to be indicted and will be indicted at some point in time. But he thinks this really complicates matters for the Department of Justice. Once again, if you rob a bank and steal a million dollars, you're a bank robber. If you rob a bank and get $1,000, are you or are you not still a bank robber? Let's go to the phone. Here's Jeff in Florence. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Jeff. Hey, um, now I, uh, as far as the document thing, not, not why I called in, but, um, you know, the Justice Department appointed a Trump uh, appointee to investigate that. Are you okay with that? Yeah, I think that's the guy Biden tried to fire. They wouldn't fire him. Yeah, but either way. He is uh, a Trump appointee investigating Joe Biden's document. Change. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff I, believe, I believe this about you. I think you're far more liberal than I am in your opinions of government, but I think you want the truth to find. I mean, it, I, I think we all want people to be treated fairly. I mean, if, if Donald yeah. Trump broke the law, then he should be held accountable. If Joe Biden broke the law, he should be held accountable. I, I don't I don't want one rule I, to apply to one party and then not to another. Agreed. And, and when you talk about money from foreign governments, let's let's just be honest. We now know Trump paid more taxes in China than he did in the United States. Did he break the law? He said he. It, well, I mean, you know, again, they're digging into that, but there's a reason he wants that hid. But I mean, as of right um, now, did he break the law? Did he break the law? No, they're still investigating. Okay, okay, they're still investigating. I mean, like, but you know, as a fact, that there was a Chinese spy arrested on Marlago's grounds with thumb drives right but you're talking you know about that. you're talking about taxes did he or did he not Agreed. pay the taxes he owed as far as we know this morning uh no i mean we can no, complain about the tax code did, no we, we 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 don't know that because he did not they did not start the returns until 2019 okay and, but, and that's the truth but but, that's but, the truth. but as of right now donald trump has no problem with the irs we don't know that because the audits had never been done. But we do know right now he doesn't. Well, I mean, he paid he very little taxes in a couple of years, but but he's got a team of accountants who were hired to do what? Taxes? Minimize he his tax liability. Half, he, he got a $4.5 million tax return. And did he break we, the law in getting that $4.5 million dollar tax know. return? The, the, the true answer is we don't know. Okay. But but we do know. So We, 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 don't, we don't know what tomorrow holds. But we do know that today Donald Trump is in compliant with the uh, with the IRS. Uh, they don't say that. Okay. They they do they do not say that because they did not audit his taxes. 
If Donald Trump got a refund of four and a half million dollars, is that yeah. Donald Trump's fault or the federal government's tax code fault? Um, it, if he didn't get audited, what would you think? Well, I, mean, I, I don't know. I mean, he, you think Trump's going to ask for an audit? Hey, you guys hadn't shown up at my place in a year or two. Please come by and make no, sure no, I'm no, doing everything no, as I should. You, you, you do. It, it was mandatory that his taxes should have been audited, right? Ah, that's that debatable. Is that is law. Nah, no, that's no, debatable. That There's law. an interpretation of that law. If you were, if, okay, okay. So, but either way, I didn't call for this, but okay. it is a funny argument. Um, but, uh, but just two things on the on the documents. We do know that a, a Russian woman was arrested. She's a Chinese spy on Mar-a-Lago's grounds with thumb drives. You remember this. I think right? it's the same lady that slept with Eric Swalwell while he was on the Intelligence Committee. That's a nice nice deflect, but that's a fact, right? But was it the same lady who slept with Eric Swalwell while he was no, uh, on the Intelligence Committee? Thing, thing. I, I'm just asking. You do remember that there was a Chinese spy arrested on Mar-a-Lago's grounds with thumb drives, right? I do. Okay, and you do remember there's a picture of Lindsey Graham, Donald Trump, and a Russian spy playing golf at Mar-a-Lago, and she lied about who she was, and she was totally compromised, correct? There is some reporting that she was a Russian spy. Yeah, well, she got deported for that, right? Okay. Okay, but th- but you remember this is true, right? There was some reporting that that was true. Okay, and there's photographic evidence of that, correct? Okay, yeah. Yeah. But right. where so are we headed? Oh, I'm just, I'm just, you know, when we talk about conjecture, and I'm saying investigate Joe Biden, but that's not why I call. But, but uh, surely you're not I, arguing I, that Donald Trump has not been thoroughly investigated. No, he's still being investigated. Sure he is. He will he's be investigated till the day he dies because he challenged the status quo and won. You know why Donald Trump's life is so complicated today. He did something that was forbidden. He beat the establishment, and this is the price you pay for beating the establishment. Bill Clinton went through the same thing. When a candidate wins, that's not supposed to. Jeff, there is nobody ever gone through a similar treatment to Donald Trump, and you know that as well as I do. You can play political games, and I respect that. But there is no former president, while in office or post-presidency, that has ever dealt with the degree of scrutiny Donald Trump has. Does he deserve it? Half the country thinks he does, half the country he doesn't. But to equate how Donald Trump has been treated to any president in my lifetime is just being fundamentally dishonest. No, he he absolutely is being investigated more than anybody else. And, and, and like you said, when there's smoke, you know, they think there's fire, they're going to look. But... Re- I, I, you you made a comment about twenty percent of us are now paying attention or are awake, and and you know I I I I listen to talk radio. I try and be informed. I read. You're very like informed. You do. I don't I don't I don't get paid to read, <laughs> but but I do. I, I just find it uh, fun and interesting. But when you talk about some things like you do present your side, but you don't. We don't ever dig deeper than that. Like when we talk about these gas stoves, right, there seems to be a new hot button issue, right? Do, do we know why the government is now saying that gas stoves in homes might be bad? They're saying they increase the likelihood that a child would have complications of asthma. Right. And, and, and do, do we think that's a lie? I have no idea. Okay. So I, I'm just going to give you a little 
you know, just a quick background, right? So it's the government's job. Now, let me me stop you there now. Mm -hmm. It's the government's job to tell you what you can cook on because your child may or may not have a higher chance of having the effects of asthma. That's the government's job. The government loves that kid more than you do. So the government can't trust you to do right by your own kid. They've got to intervene and they've got to decide how much you can or cannot love your kid. I mean, this is that's what okay. you're arguing. That no, the gut no, that, no, that no, you as no, a parent no. that you as a parent don't love your kid enough to put them at risk. They've got to intercede in that affair and they've got to make sure because you don't love your kid enough and they love that kid more, that kid doesn't have the effects of asthma via cooking on gas. Can it can I mean that that's a that's a, the argument that has um absolutely no play uh, uh, you frame that in a way that just is absolutely incorrect that's totally correct 1000 percent no. correct the, the fact is a home is a commodity is it not sure you will sell that home possibly possibly and the family that buys that home might be buying something that could damage their child's future wow is that not a case that could happen is it wow. not a case that could happen but do you know why the gas stoves now? So why are we selling beer in convenience stores? Why are we selling cigarettes in grocery stores? Why why are we allowing cars to be made that run in excess of, of seventy miles an hour? Ken, I'm just I'm just going to tell you. During the last twenty five years, thirty years, we've made homes more energy efficient, more tight. Okay, you you know this a little bit. You're in the building business. I mean, you you develop right. Occasionally. You gotta have R ratings. You gotta have how much, how fast. The hey Jeff, hold on a minute. I gotta take out. a break. I don't want to cut you off. I want to give you the floor. Hold on. Back in just a minute. Uh, free holes yelling and screaming through the glass. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Back to Jeff on the phone. Hey, thank you. Um, but my point is, we've made homes more energy efficient. We've made homes tighter. The air exchange in homes doesn't happen like it used to, right? So. There's there's radon gas in the in the northeast, right? It was never really a problem in in most homes, but when you made the homes tight and energy efficient, new windows, new technology, it started to build up in homes and it started to have exposure problems and make people sick. The same thing happens with gas. Do you know anybody that got homes. sick from gas stoves? Uh, I know people who have had gas stoves, vent-free gas stove fireplaces that have had illnesses and their homes damaged to a point where they had to remove everything inside because of a soot. Okay. See, see, I don't know anybody. I'm I'm sorry. I I, I don't know anybody. I mean, I know we've been burning gas, burning stoves for over 100 years in America, and I know the report by the Consumer Product Safety Commission that um, that there's a a, a 12.7% chance that a child has an increased likelihood of having the effects of asthma associated with secondhand I guess it would be secondhand smoke or soot associated with um with gas burning stoves. I mean that's that's the content that I read yesterday. Now now remember Jeff, this is the Washington Post reporting on the Climate 202 newsletter. Yeah, and and but I'm telling you that there's been regulation changes regarding stoves and vent-free stoves in homes that go back 20 years. But but, but Jeff, know, but I mean to- just take your gas stove out of your house. No, I, 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 I mean, you're surely, I mean, you go, go buy an no, electric no, it's, one. It's real simple. You can have a vent over your stove that vents the atmosphere and you don't have a problem. Do you see that? 
You're you no, know, the, the the point I'm making. Okay. You're, you're okay <laughs> with the government telling you how you can and cannot cook in your home. Can can did you you built truck? No, but right? but answer that question. Yeah, you're I, you're okay. See, no, I'm, not, mean, COVID, I'm not. I'm not, and I will never be comfortable COVID. with the government telling me that I've got to cook on an electric stove when people have cooked on gas stoves for 100 years. I'll never get where you are there. You can quote statistics. You can quote report. You can quote the government this and the government that. There is no way in this world that I'll ever agree to stop cooking with gas because the government says it's safer to cook with electricity. I respect nobody's you for saying, saying you will, but I'm not. Nobody's nobody's saying to do that is my point. Richard Trump has said products that can't be made safe will be banned. That's his exact quote. If it can't be made safe, it will be banned. You're saying it's not safe. Uh, it, it is. It, I'm not saying it's not safe. It can be mitigated. I know that I'm looking in my house right now. I have a vent-free gas fireplace. My wife goes, hey, turn that on. I'm like, no, we will not turn that on because it creates black soot. It creates mold issues and, and moisture issues in the house. And that's you have every right to do that. You should be allowed okay, to never turn it on law, if you choose to. By law, you can't put that in a house now. Well, if that's the law, that's the law. So that's the point, right? So if you have a gas stove in the future, you, you've got a hood over your over your gas stove, don't you? Yeah. If you have one, where's it vent to? Outside. Do you have a problem, Ken? Not at all. That's the point. You can mitigate the problem. Nobody's saying take the stoves away. Uh, when when we have you're accepting there's a problem. I'm not accepting there's a problem. We got to take a break, Jeff. I'm sorry. Hard break. Top of the hour. Can't float it. I think we've given Jeff plenty of time. The fundamental disagreement we have, Jeff is okay with the government saying this is unsafe and you can't do it any longer. I'm okay with the government saying it's unsafe, but I'm doing it for as long as I'd like to do it. 843-661-0937. Back in a minute. You know, there, there are some things I have no comprehension of. There, there are some things I'm well aware of. There are some things I'm somewhat aware of. There are some things I find very interesting. There are some things I don't find interesting at all. And then there's some things that intimidate me. And artificial intelligence, I mean, being nearly 60 years old, artificial intelligence is something I'm sure I don't comprehend nor understand. Freehold gives me this sheet this morning, and there's an attorney, Andrew Reed, listed, um, able to speak on three subjects in particular. And one is artificial intelligence about to defend a human in court for the first time ever. Andrew, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Doing well. So how is that possible? Explain to me what that looks like, sounds like, feels like, looks like. Yeah, so we I will say with the, the information about what's going to happen is a little bit vague. The company doesn't want to disclose everything. Like they're not saying where this is occurring or who the defendant is or anything like that. But what they are have said is that they are going to have a defendant defending himself on or herself on a traffic ticket going to have an earbud in their ear connected to some type of device uh, and that device will be connected somehow to their AI engine whether it's in terms of being on the device itself or having a internet or cell phone connection to that their system itself so that's what we know so far 
And it will be interesting to see how well this happens. The company says if they can't get the person off the ticket, they will pay for any of the fines. I know uh, it was posted around going about it on some attorney pages that the company has also put out there that it will it's offering a sum of money for any attorney that would use their system to try to fight a case before the U.S. Supreme Court. So they are trying to go big or go home, as they say. Andrew, if I'm an attorney, I'm concerned that there's a case involving the world's first robot attorney. (laughs) (laughs) Yes and no. So it's one I can see this being one of those. This could be very helpful in situations like this where it is a someone that doesn't want to have to go spend money hiring an attorney to go defend something make the fine itself may cost less than what it would to hire an attorney to handle the case. So situations like that, this type of system could be very beneficial, especially to someone that is intimidated by going before a judge. These types of systems may become helpful. But in other situations, the example immediately that comes to mind is, for example, a trade secrets type case where everything needs to be kept confidential. You wouldn't want all that information getting into an AI system and potentially being used in other cases, Um, even if it's not necessarily perfectly disclosed. If any of it's disclosed, that becomes a problem. So those are, I can see the pros and cons of these types of systems. Andrew, I can understand, um, you know, I, I'm in business and host a radio show and formerly in politics. We get together and critique one another. But how does a, how does a real live lawyer critique a robot <laughs> lawyer? In other words, when we find out exactly how the case went, um, is there the ability for you as a human being to question what what AI did or did not do and what they should have done or should not have done? It's one we'll see. I, I would hope that the company releases uh, the transcript or at least a redacted form of that transcript to let people know what happened and how things went down so that um, attorneys can get feedback of did the robot do well or did it not do well? Because uh, it's one, this will be an interesting one to see because it's, again, the first time that it's being done. So, would in this situation would is the robot going to be as good as having a real attorney in your ear or is it going to go off the rails and go completely haywire the thing i'd be interested if no billable hours sign me up i want to be i want to be a part of that thank you andrew appreciate your time absolutely that's a little bit novelish or novelty ish but kind of interesting um nonetheless i thought you'd find that a bit interesting and intriguing as we um mm-hmm. as we ramble about on a Wednesday morning. I'd like to ramble back to Jeff's call, if you don't mind, okay. for a minute. Because Jeff calls, and then it's funny because we occasionally have listeners like Jeff, and, and he he's somewhat of an antagonist to our point of view. And then we and just, he's a spin master. Oh, he's pretty good at he's it, He's a too. spin master. He's pretty good but, at but it. But I get it. And, 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 you know, I know he's not here to defend himself, and I'll say that I you know he has Trump derangement syndrome pretty bad. I mean, there's nothing. He cuts Trump no slack. He doesn't like him. I get it. And that's fine, and that kind of kind of makes it fun. But but I, I just am interested in the fact that that Jeff's call generates additional conversation on the show. We'll have other listeners call and talk about Jeff's call. Some people say, "Why do you let the guy? Why do you give him any airtime?" But I enjoy it. And I think it's entertaining radio. I mean, it makes for better radio, and I'd love for you know six or eight Jeffs to call every day and take exception with things I say. Guys, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I don't have a monopoly on the truth. I'm wrong a lot. <laughs> I mean, I've been wrong more times than I care to mention, and I'll be wrong more times than I I care to remember from here on. 
but I have an opinion. I have a strong held opinion. It's based on the events and experiences that have led me here. I mean, I've never said, hey, when you listen to me for four hours, you're going to hear nothing but nuggets of truth. You're going to hear a nugget of truth here and there, but the majority of what we hear is my opinion of what I perceive to be, you know, the, the realities of politics and life in general and culture. And when Jeff says, I mean, there's some validity to what Jeff's saying, but, but I didn't want to go much deeper than that because Jeff is okay with the government suggesting or demanding, commanding for you to change the way you cook food because it's a little bit unsafer than this other way. I'm not. I mean, I told Rev during the break, and he got a little bit nervous. I mean, there are a lot of things I've done in my life I shouldn't have that were not healthy. I mean, I, I've smoked weed. I've, I've drank beer. I've jumped out of an airplane. I've drove a car 160 miles an hour. I've had premarital sex. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a multitude <laughs> of things I've done TMI. that I know aren't good for me. I mean, I, I, I readily accept and admit that driving a car that fast is dangerous and not in your best interest. Drinking, um, you know, bourbon instead of water is not in your best interest. I said it this morning, and I'll say it again. When the weather gets crisp, and I'm at Gamecock Park, I like a bourbon drink. When the weather's 100 degrees and my wife and I are at the beach, I don't want a bottle of water. I want a cold beer. That's my choice. I don't need the government telling me how to live my life. I'll make these decisions. I'll make these choices, and I'm responsible enough to suffer the consequence of the bad one and reap the benefit of the good ones. I don't need the government programming my life. And all of a sudden, we've got 12.7% per some report in the Washington Post more likely to have asthmatic events as it relates to to, to cooking with... um. I mean, if I'm convinced that cooking with gas is dangerous for my kids, I mean, I hope I'd be a responsible enough parent to make a change. But I'm not doing it based on some liberal think tank that reports to the Washington Post what their findings are. I'm just not doing that. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, there's, there's no way. Um, do I believe jumping out of an airplane is smart? No. Did I do it? Yeah. Why? Because I wanted to. Do I believe um, that eating steak is better than eating fried or, excuse me, grilled salmon? No. Why do I do it? Because I want to. Are they going to try to ban ice cream next? Well, I mean, I mean we, but Rev, you have the right to make bad choices. Right. And our system is set up when you make those bad choices. Now, now the one point Larry makes, and Larry makes a very valid point about we're all in this thing together. I mean, if I'm on Medicare and I've decided to drink bourbon every day and eat steak every day, and, and I, I become your liability. Why? Because you're subsidizing my health care. I mean, I paid in, but I didn't pay in as much as it'll cost to have some heart transplant, you know, or something crazy like that down the road. And so, so there is some collective, there is some common good in, in all of these things. But, but America at its core has to be. I mean, if we stop being that, guys, then I don't want to be part of it. I mean, I really and truly mean that. And, and I said earlier, and I'll say again, I mean, I consider myself to be one of the 20% who are able to critically think and willing to critically think. And when my buddy said, okay, if you're one of the, I mean, if you're two of 10, I mean, let's assume that you're, you're you know, you hold yourself in our regard. Let's assume that you're in that elite company, so to speak, that 35% of Americans have the ability to critically think 20% of us choose to critically think. Let's say I'm one of those. I'm doing a disservice if I do go to Wyoming and check out. You know what I mean? And watch the cattle and cows graze and not have to put up with the nonsense. I mean, I can't mail bombs in the mail. I don't need to write a manifesto. But but we've got to involve ourselves in the affairs of our country. That That's what I believe we're, we're called to do. We're let, Jeff's doing that. 
I mean, Jeff is obviously one of the 20%. I mean, he's, he's smart enough to critically think, and he's willing to critically think. I think he kind of took a jab at me, a little bit uh, tongue-in-cheek. I don't get paid to read, you know. <laughs> I mean, I do to some I degree. I get paid to read. I get paid to research. I get paid to call members of Congress. I get paid to hang around with, with members of the General Assembly and kind of pick their mind and brain on some of these things. And then we have these debates every morning. We have these conversations every single day. And and it works. I mean, it works beautifully because you guys have rewarded us via the marketplace. I mean, we've got advertisers. We've got listeners. There's nothing special about Rev and I. I mean, we're two dudes. Rev's been in radio all his life. I backed in the show business in some way, shape, or form. But together we have created, and, and I'll go back to something, and I'll give Rev credit for this. I don't give him credit for much, but oh. I'll give him credit oh. for this. I mean, the Rev said early on that, that he believed success on the radio was keeping it real. If people believe that you're telling them what you really think, they'll give you a shot. Why does Jeff torture himself every morning by listening to somebody he fundamentally <laughs> disagrees with. I think he believes I'm fair. I think he, I mean, I think Jeff, I, I think Jeff expects to hear something he disagrees with every day, but I think Jeff believes that I believe what I'm saying. And when Jeff calls in, I believe he believes what he's saying. And that to me is the growth potential in spoken word radio. I mean, that's not, it's not called talk radio any longer. That's right. It's called spoken word radio. It sounds sophisticated. And, 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 and something we said um, yesterday. Remember, we had the social media expert and influencer on the air. And Larry said, we're done because um, today's Larry's got to get picked on. Larry said, <laughs> we're done because our kids have eight seconds of attention span. But, but the one thing she did say is kids sing to give authentic people the benefit of the doubt. If you appear to be real. If you, if you, if you appear to, when you say something or, or try to make a point, it's not because corporate, somebody said something about podcast the other day. And it was interesting to me because Rev and I've talked a lot about podcasting recently. Somebody said something about a podcast the other day. And um, and it's kind of interesting to me. They said the beauty of a podcast, when you're talking to George Stephanopoulos, you think you're talking to ABC news. You're not really talking to Stephanopoulos. I mean, he's the conduit. He's the vessel. He's the vehicle. He's the guy making, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars a year to do the job. But but you're really talking to corporate. I mean, Stephanopoulos isn't going rogue. I mean, he's a trusted ally of ABC News. They know that he's not going to go off script. He's going to make sure he treats Republicans a certain way and Democrats another way. I mean, he's a contributor to the Clinton Global Initiative. I mean, he worked for the Clintons. He's a Democrat, so he's got one style against Republicans and one style. Um, Chuck Todd would meet the press. I mean, Chuck Todd was irate about um, the the committee chair or Schiff and um, and uh, Swalwell being taken off the the intelligence committee. Of course, he was. But he, but but he said at the end of the interview, that sounds personal to me. You know, so but but that's not Chuck Todd has a job, and his job requires him doing what NBC News says do. George Stephanopoulos' job, very few people are larger than life. Very few people get away with doing anything they want to when they want to do it. Limbaugh was that guy. I mean, Limbaugh walked to the beat of his own drum, and he didn't have to be held accountable. I mean, his, his, his success at the, in the marketplace had kind of, you know, awarded him or rewarded him with, with that right. Um, but, but the person was talking about podcast, and they said they re- the reason they feel podcast are, are, are gaining a lot of popularity is when two people are talking to one another, you don't believe they're speaking on behalf of Pfizer and ABC News. 
or the Republican Party and NBC News or the Democrat Party and Fox News. In other words, when you watch some of these staged interviews, you're really not getting much. I mean, nobody's telling you exactly what they believe. It's one corporation, one entity, one enterprise speaking directly or indirectly um, to another. And podcast seems to have gained popularity because when Dave and Ken are talking, you, you kind of believe that Dave's talking to Ken. Feel it's less yeah. filtered. And, and it's not all about corporate radio or corporate television or, or corporate media or legacy media, traditional media, mainstream media. Here's two dudes who agree or disagree. And I think the beauty of talk radio, spoken word radio, is, you know, a 10-minute conversation with Jeff about, you know, gas stoves or not. I understand Jeff's point. I mean, I do. I mean, you know, we've sealed houses. We've weather-tighted houses. Weather-tighted. We've, um, we've made houses more weather-tight. Um, you know, the, the, the R ratings and insulation, uh, the, uh, the, the seals around doors. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've done all that, but, but I'm still not comfortable in allowing government to force me to live my life the way they want me to live my life. And I wish there were more like me. Now here's the challenge. Here's the struggle. They made it real rewarding for you to do what they say do. They made it incredibly complicated to not. The punitive nature of government. If you do what government says, you're going to live. Um, I mean, I use the analogy, if you roll over enough, you end up rolling over into a chairman of the board at your local chamber of commerce or university board or something like that. I mean, if you want to be stubborn, you, you, you probably you're going to end up being somewhat of, of an outcast. And I just think we need more, more outcast. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Here's Rod in Mullins. Good morning, Rod. Good morning. How are you? Hey, Rod. How are you? Good. So concerning the uh, gas stoves, and uh, just a little fact, well, fun fact, in 2020, a report from the National Fire Prevention Association, households with electric stoves reported fires at a 2.6 rate higher than with gas stoves. And also, electric-run households, although gas stoves are only 40%, I understand that, but also with households, uh, there were 3.4 times higher than uh, for fires than with gas appliances, and the injury rate was five times greater. So that might be something to consider. There you go. That's Thank you. That's Thank all. you, you 20%er you. <laughs> um, maybe our next batch of T-shirts. I mean, we got some T-shirts, takes Mondays to make Fridays. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need some to say, you 20% are you, and we kind of wear that with a badge of honor. There are more of you out there listening to this show than, than you imagine. And, and you know, we, we have some callers that call in, and they, they kind of they, they wander. Well, I mean, the host wanders about. But, 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 but a lot of you call in, and, and you really add so much to our efforts here. And by the way, just for the record, we're talking about the, the gas stoves. I converted from electric to gas a couple, three years ago, and, and I love it. I, 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 just, I, just, on gas. I enjoy saying cooking with gas. You know what I mean? That's just the only reason. <laughs> the only reason I've done it. Let's go to the phone, then we'll take a break. Neil in Sumter listening to WDXY. Morning, Neil. Hey, guys, just real quick. Uh, here's how I approach this whole gas stove thing. This is a perfect way to explain the difference between Democrats and Republicans. Democrats come up with a giant government program and a, and a, and a thing that's going to eventually ban the stove. You know what a Republican says? Open a window or turn on the vent. There you go. Well explained. <laughs> Thank you, you twenty percenter. <laughs> you twenty percenter. You. There you are. That's going to be. Yeah, that, that that'll be our um our phrase of the day. Yeah. I mean, if if you're not comfortable cooking with gas, 
then remove the gas stove. If you want to open the window, open the window. If you want to ask your kid or carry your kid to the doctor, hey, you have any complications or problems here, I'm not taking the Washington Post at its word. I'm not taking some academic research at its word. I'm sorry. I'm just not. If you do, you're not one of the 35% that have the ability. I mean, if you really and truly believe that the Washington Post is not motivated by something other than spreading the truth, and if you believe some of these climatologists and scientists and, and um, I think we've called them climate terrorists, I mean, if you believe they're sincere about, you know, leading or misleading the public in a particular direction, then keep doing what you're doing. But I'm just not going to let government l- force me to live the way that they want me to live. And I hope and pray that the majority of Americans feel as I do. Take a break. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Linda and Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Linda. Well, good morning to everyone and a happy New Year's to everyone. Same to you, uh, Linda. My thing is about the gas too. I grew up with gas because we come out of the deep country, so we had gas. I didn't have electric until I, I married my husband. You can't cook on electric. And these restaurants, what are they going to do? Everybody use gas because it's efficient. It cooks everything exactly the same, and that doesn't happen on lectures. And you can't cook a whole if I, I don't. I don't know what these people are thinking about, but I'm pretty sure all of them eating at restaurants. So I guess they want our food to keep continuing going up, which means that. The charge of a a hamburger may become $10, which is close to anyway. (laughs) But, I mean, I don't really know what these people are thinking about because this is how our economy works. And we should be able to make those choices, whether they're good or bad. And you're always finding, I mean, there's so many lawyer commercials on TV about things we never even thought about before. All of a sudden they make you sick or there's some damages. So, Leave the, leave the gas alone, or else we're gonna. Uh, a lot of people are gonna find themselves in cold houses. But y'all have a great day. Thank you, Linda. Appreciate it. But think about put yourself in the in the liberal activist shoes. Anytime they can include climate, health care. You ready? And the children, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, just just think yeah. about it. I mean, right. that's kind of all encompassing. We, we've got a chance. I mean, some of these um uh. 
tax credits for electric appliances is probably what's coming in next. I mean, they'll probably incentivize the private sector to buy, an, you know, some electric stove or electric grill or stop cooking electric logs. I would imagine, I mean, that, that would be liberal activism. In other words, how does the government incentivize people? Well, I mean, the, the first thing you do is create a narrative. And what is the narrative centered around? It's good for the climate. It's good for your health. But mainly, it's taking care of the children. Anytime liberals can convince the public they're taking care of the children, they're preying on your emotions and stop believing anything they say after that. Let's go to the phone. Ashley in Poston's Corner. Good morning, Ashley. Uh, good morning, fellas. Well, I mean, if Jeff was born several, several, several generations ago, he would have probably been on Great Britain's side, um, just like he is on the government side. But that's not how we were founded. But but what I called about earlier um, was the um, city councilman from Florence. So in 2004, Florence County went to city council and said, hey, hat in hand, we can't do this no more. We'll give you this water for pennies on the dollar. $3.7 million. Exactly. Now, I think we're, I think he showed, I think city council and the city of Florence is showing their hand a little bit. And Florence County has a much better hand now because it's almost like they're coming hand in hat now and saying, Hey, we screwed this up too. Hand in hat. So, I mean, I get doing the exact same prices, but why not take over a little bit of ownership of it? Okay, here's what I'd do. You ready? Thank you, Ashley. Appreciate the call. You guys have heard me hash out policy in front of you before. <laughs> I mean, if Let's I were king, uh, didn't we play Tom Petty yesterday? We did. Good to be king if just for a while to stand there in velvet and give him a smile. If I were king standing there in velvet, believe it or not, I've stood in purple velvet before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty wild. But but anyway, if um if I were standing there in velvet, um, I would either offer a proposal of a regional water water authority, or I would convince the public in Florence County it's in their best interest to allow the next capital penny to begin a countywide water system. Now, what does that look like? You'd have to get Lake City and Johnsonville and Pamplico and Timmonsville and Sardis and Atlanta. Uh, well, not Sardis, Atlanta. You know the, these towns. Uh, Sardis may be in Florence County, is it? I don't know. But anyway, these municipalities within. The, uh, the the county boundary, and we'd have to all sit down together. I need me a technocrat or two. I need me a good capable administrator or two. I need a good politician or two. I'll carry my weight in that department. I can't do the technocrat work. I can't do the uh, the administrative work. But but I would probably, I mean, I would reach out to the city because the city's in a mess. And the reason they're in a mess, guys, is they lived out of the revenue. The $3.7 million initial investment to basically own the monopoly of water in Florence County generates north of $50 million a year. And instead of reinvesting in the maintenance and repairing of that critical infrastructure, they decided to build a lot of things that do add to the quality of life, but are they as essential as water? No, they're absolutely not as essential as water. It's not Brian Braddock's fault. Please understand, Brian Braddock's Johnny come lately to this. And I applaud Brian for not running away from it. From, from kind of confronting it as um, as he sees fit. But but if I were um, a county council member or some county authority, that would be my strategy. Now, now, I'm advocating, I mean, I'm swinging for the fence here. I'm advocating consolidating governments. Why do we have a city and county council? 
Why do we have now four school districts, four superintendents? I think the consolidation of government in general is a good idea. What does that look like? I don't know. I mean, do you have a, a principal in each school? Maybe. Do you have a, a mayor of the county or an administrator of the county? Maybe. I don't know. But, but I do know this. The fewer elected officials we have, the less likely it is they're going to spend your money. And, and you know, th- there's a big debate. Newt Gingrich actually had a lot to say about this years ago, about the number of elected officials we have in America. And I think consolidation in government always leads, well, not always, but most times leads uh, to better services. So, you know, I mean, as a bargaining chip with the city, I would propose swinging for the fence. Um, in other words, if I'm on county council and I'm, I'm a, I know a guy with a radio show, I come on the radio show and I said, here's what we're going to introduce. We're going to work with the General Assembly and try to introduce legislation because North Carolina's doing it now. I'm going to do Hanover County and Wilmington are exploring consolidation of local government. I mean, there's some urban districts that will be included, some densely populated areas that will be a little bit differently governed. Mecklenburg and Charlotte are another example. And the General Assembly's basically blessed some of those efforts. Um, If I were in the county's position, I would reach out to members of the delegation and I would inquire of their interest in what legislatively has to be done for that to take place. And that would be my leveraging point. And I would basically say, you know, you guys have the water. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And we are at the mercy of what you decide to do. But if you don't work with us and become more reasonable in what um in what the county residents pay for water and how we're going to repair the infrastructure, then, then we're going to swing for the fence. I mean, that is, it's a, I mean, it's politicking, and a lot of people don't like that. Uh, I don't like it. I wish I was a dictator, but I accept that I'm not. <laughs> and I accept that we've got to work with, with a lot of different people who have a lot of different perspectives and worldviews. 843-661-0937. Go to the phone. Tim in Darlington. Good morning, Tim. Hey, good morning. I need a favor from you fellas. I've been trying to call old Joey. You can't get him to call me back. Next time you talk to him, ask him if we can keep our water heaters and fireplaces. And I'll give you all a call back. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. I can't answer for anybody other than yours truly. I'm keeping my gas. And I'm not trusting the Washington Post and some climate scientist who says, and once again, guys, think about what I said. If you have an opportunity as a liberal activist to include the climate, health care, and children, is there another check we need to put in a box? I mean, those are three essential boxes. And it's, I mean, it's to, to me, Jeff may disagree. A lot of this is propaganda. I mean, there's some science that leads you to believe that cooking with electric may decrease the likelihood that a child has um, some asthmatic event in his or her life. Okay, you're a parent. You make that call. You decide. I mean, really and truly what we're arguing is, and it's probably more true than not, the government is basically arguing that people cannot be left to their own volition. People aren't responsible enough. They aren't smart enough. They aren't diligent enough. Uh, they're, not, they're not capable enough. They're not able enough to make decisions on their own. Well, you know why they're not? Because they've not been made to. Remember the story we told on the air uh, during COVID, and we're talking about shutdowns and lockdowns and going to school, going to work, what we're going to, you know, uh, wow, the world will never be the same. And we told the story of the missionary who went to a tribe in Africa witnessing in the name of Jesus, and he got there and he was nervous because he's in Africa and, and he was worried about lions and tigers. And, uh, you know, he, he asked one of the leaders of the village, you know, um, man, I'm nervous. 
about um the 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 village leader said to the missionary we we go twice a week to get no we go twice a day to get water and the the, the stream we get fresh water from is a mile down uh that trail and the missionary said man i'm nervous about that i've read about some of these places there's there's lions and tigers he said no the lions and tigers are in the western part of our nation there are no lions and tigers here and the missionary says i'm glad of that and they grab buckets and as soon as the the missionary grabs the bucket the the village leader says but there are king cobras and about three of our villagers you know meet their maker every year as a result of king cobra bites and the missionary puts the bucket down king cobras what do you mean king cobras he says, um, what, 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 what do y'all do about the king cobras? And the villager picked the buckets up and said, we go get water. I mean, in every walk of our life, we accept a certain degree of risk. Some are risk averse. Some are comfortable with less mitigation. Some are comfortable with more mitigation. But, but at every point in our lives, we, we make determinations, self-determinations about how much risk we're willing to assume. That's the only way America survives. That's the only way America sustains if in our DNA, in our bones, in our, in our, in our I don't know, Reb, the, the gumption we, we draw upon uh, or we draw on from within is the only way we're going to make it to a better place. I mean, the government's not going to design society that makes America better. I'll assure you with this. The more we allow government to orchestrate, design, and facilitate the process of organizing the American culture, society, and our existence, the less of a nation we're going to be. But if we lose that independence and liberty and freedom-loving, um, I don't know, senses we have, and I think they're in our bones, I think they're in our in our DNA, I hope they are, I mean, they're in mine, I can't speak to you personally, but I hope they're still in yours, because if we've gotten to a place where we're allowing the government to say what we can cook on based on a climate report, uh, reported on by the Washington Post and liberal activists fanning the flames of climate, health care, and the children, then, then we've lost our way to a point that I don't know how it's salvageable. And there's some that don't believe uh, it's salvageable. Is America in decline? Yeah. How do I know America's in decline? Because we're even allowing this sort of senseless conversation to dominate uh, the airways. Let's go to the phone. We'll take our last break. Here is DW. Good morning. Hey, guys. What's going on? Hey, DW. Hey, man, you know, I just am listening, and I'm thinking that, you know, we spent a lot more money on utilities and uh, getting them proficient, doing things like that, instead of spending all the money we spent on the bureaucracy, all the people who stand around and tell us what we should and shouldn't be doing, instead of be out doing what we should do, is make sure everything runs right. We have a lot less issue, but we don't want to do that. We've got too many people who want to tell us what to do. And this, this thing about the gas, um, <clears throat> I'm like you, Ken. I grew up, and my mom and dad took authority over me and told me what I would would do and I listened to them and I learned because my best interests they had not the government or anybody else and if they think the government's going to do it then the government's dumb enough to keep telling us that you know this uh gas and everything else is really hurting us and I hate to tell these folks but uh you know the electricity is run by coal-powered furnaces and uh that's what they're trying to shut down and they keep storing this electric thing electric thing they can't do it all and so we need to get rid of the bureaucrats and get the utilities working where they do protect those and make them right so we don't have these issues with shutdowns and uh, uh of the you know power grids 
it's just crazy. There's no common sense. Common sense has been thrown out the door, and some of the stuff you're saying every day, the old common sense, the old country common sense makes sense. And the other folks just kind of throwing things out because it makes you feel good. So I'd rather have common sense and feel good any day. So you guys be good, doing a great job. Go Tigers. Talk to you later, brother. Thank you, DW. Appreciate it, my man. Good listener, good friend, and good sponsor, DW, over at, um, at Schofields. We'll take a break. We'll be back. In just a few. And I was a perfect bumper. I was about to, to, to say that. I mean, this show has been four hours. It's been a over. variety. Yeah, I mean, it has been. It's been a. Um, I mean, it's been a fireworks show. A little bit over here, and a little bit over there, and a little bit uh, over yonder. That we've had people call in to agree and disagree. We had people call in and hang up because they couldn't get through. Um, thank you. There's always a good time. There's never a bad time to say thank you to a listening audience, and we certainly appreciate um, all the participation that you've agreed to have. Uh, but I do think we've got a new T-shirt idea. You know, well, I'm like a twenty percenter. I'm, I'm one of, the, and I don't, I don't have any idea. Do you think that number's close? I mean, free older. Do you think that number's close? Thirty-five percent of Americans have the ability to be critical thinkers. Twenty percent have the ability and um, the the motivation. Maybe I have higher hopes for mankind because when you first brought up those numbers the other day and what you thought they were, I thought, well, certainly half half of America has the ability to critically have think you ever whether or not they apply themselves. Freehold? Come on. You know it's going to be way lower. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I figured People he, are he, dummies. He, he, he thinks it's 5%, maybe, maybe 10%. <laughs> have you ever watched The View? No. The, I mean, if, if The View I stays say on I television, have. The View, should, I mean, if we are a serious nation, The View should have debuted and that been their last episode simultaneously. <laughs> But but people get their political opinions. Yeah. I mean, I, I know people in my That's world so that I love, I hold in high regard, and they'll say to me, well, I mean, they said on The View, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, did they? <laughs> Tell me what they said on The View, um, he or she of low, uh, anyway. Um, but, but no, th- these are good souls. I mean, they, they are genuinely good, decent, moral, ethical people that believe those ladies on The View or telling them some accounting of what reality is, and and it's just nonsense to me. Um, I was thinking about you know Barbara Walters recently passed away, right? Sure. And I was thinking she has a very very distinguished career as a journalist, and and she's famous for the interviews. But the one bad thing she did was give us that darn view show. You know, Bill O'Reilly said that he was on the View a couple of times, and the only reason he went on is Barbara Walters asked him to, and he held her in high regard. He said she was a journalist. I mean, she didn't go there. I mean, obviously, she's probably liberal, but she was not totally and completely sold out on the propaganda line of the mainstream. Uh, the only difference in Twitter and CNN, NBC, CBS, ABC, New York Times, Washington Post, Elon hadn't bought all those. <laughs> I mean, if Elon bought those and revealed some of the internal communications, we would realize how corrupt and biased liberally um, those organizations are. 20% of us have the ability and determination to see through that nonsense. I mean, I laugh at the view. It's almost like satire to me. It's like a Saturday Night Live skit. I mean, it's, it's humorous to me. When, when those women start talking to one another about politics or Trump or, or whatever makes the world go around, it, it's almost like I'm watching. I mean, I'm, I'm watching Saturday Night Live, and they're not professing to be honest, right? I mean, they're, they're comedians. They're, <laughs> right. they're, they're making fun of everything. Right. And, and, um, it's a comedy show. Yeah, and, and sometimes... To somebody with a decent degree of intellect, Saturday Night Live is a little more believable. At least you respect the talent, right? 
I mean, there's a lot of talented souls on Saturday Night Live. They're just not trying to be uh, revealers of the truth. They're they're playing um, their part. But people watch The View believing that they're going to get some honest accounting of what's going on in the world. Hey, thanks for your participation. We enjoyed the day. Enjoy your Wednesday, and we'll talk tomorrow.